So I, I listened to a few episodes. How long have you been doing the, this pod, the podcast? Started at the end of 2019, right before the pandemic started. I think it was like December oh, wow. 2019 is when the first episode got launched. I had been talking about doing it for a while, though, because a buddy of mine hit me up. It's like in 2017. He used to live here in Tennessee. He lives in, I'm in Memphis. And he was like, hey, let's start a podcast. And I had no idea anything about a podcast whatsoever. And then he was like, well, my neighbor down, he, he had moved to Florida. And he's like, my neighbor down here has a podcast. And he's like, we can just do something over the phone just to record to see what it sounds like. And I'm like, sure. Mm-hmm. And then nothing ever came out of it. And then he moved back here. And then we were supposed to record. And then he never showed up. And then I was just like, fuck it, man. I'm just going to buy some equipment <laughs> and then figure it out. And that's what happened. And I've been doing it ever since. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, you, and you guys have, it seems like it's grown, you know, pretty significantly over that last few years then. Yeah. Like I said, it's just about being consistent. I think that's anything in life though. As long as you keep at it. I mean, I always say there's an ass for every seat and there's 8 billion of us in this world. Not everybody's going to like it, but there is a small fraction of people that will. And if you just right. keep doing that and then they're going to show their people or whatever. And if you have good guests, they're going to enjoy the content. So it's all about just moving forward. No, you're, you're right. I think it's interesting, right? Yeah, the, that consistency and energy of whatever you put into it, if you put something consistently energy, it's, you know, you're, you're hard pressed to find somebody who, you know, really committed to something like that, did it on whatever is for that thing is considered a consistent basis over an extended period of time and put energy into learning it and getting crap and honing it and didn't have success. Right. Like, I don't think that's probably the exception to the rule. Yeah, it's like uh, I saw this one guy said, like, if you see somebody in really good shape, generally they're not going to be like, oops, I just got in shape. You know, they constantly had to watch <laughs> what they ate and went to the gym, got the right sleep. You know, it, it's so much into it. But I think a lot of us, especially with online, it's shown us like highlight reels of people's lives. So we think everything happens overnight. And then we don't realize that people had to put in the work to do that. Now, there are some people that got lucky yeah. or whatever. Somebody found them, but they still had to be in that right place at the right time. So, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, consistency is everything, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, it's interesting. Yeah. I think that we see that a lot. I don't know if we want to start the podcast. I feel like this is good, good stuff. We're already in the podcast. Oh yeah. Um, this is fun. But the, okay. Yeah. But the, uh, you know, that's why I think the other problem that people, especially younger people, people don't realize that they emulate the outcome, mm. right? Like, they 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 put on the 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 chains or they wear they they put the they put their eight thousand dollar rims on their four thousand dollar Civic or whatever you know and <laughs> and and it's all just about like because that's what they've got on the TV that's what that's what success is right yeah. they've got all this bling. it's like no 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 what you didn't see was that he was living in his grandma's basement you know with with doing doing beats sounding awful you know do it doing his friends parties getting laughed at you know uh for you know seven years yes uh didn't have a social life didn't party you know and just and and then boom all of a sudden you know now you know about him but mm-hmm. this has been growing you know underground for so long and so because it's like we only see the outcome that's what people try to emulate because they think it's well that's what success people, successful people do and you know um you know in the podcast space and in, i do you know public speaking and you know, what I'll hear is, well, you know, well, I'll, 
I'm just going to keep to myself. Like I'm not going to speak my mind or I'm going to hold back or I'm not going to be who I, I'm not going to say what I really think because I need to have X amount of money, you know, like mm. when he, Elon says what he wants to say, but it's because he has so much money. Like, you no, know, Elon's been saying things directly like that his whole life. That's why he's there. He's yeah. there because there are or, or a Rogan or whatever, right? Like he's just genuinely him. And he's been, he was like that when he was a, you know, if you watch back his, you know, first comedy specials and stuff like that, he's, is that he hasn't, he's, you know, he's developed, but he's always been just speaking his truth and being genuine. And then your audience finds you for being that way. And, uh, and I think it's because they see that outcome. And so they say, well, he's got money and he speaks his mind. That means I need to have money to speak my mind. Be like, no, being authentically you, yeah. Casey, you know, doing what you feel like you're meant to do, driving that way, do that and do all the work early. And that's what will lead to the success. It's not the other way, you know, the success. And then you could be yourself. You have to be yourself to have the success, I think. Well, you don't want to be the type of person that fakes the funk and then you get exposed later on. And then everybody's like, oh, you're a fraud. Yeah. That's the worst, in my opinion. I'd rather be like, this is me, you know, raw form, whatever. And then people are like, okay, that's what that person is. Like you said about Elon and Joe. But then you go to somebody like I, I love MMA. But there's a guy, I mean, he's a successful fighter, but he kind of fell from grace because of the things he did. And if he would have just shown his true self, people probably liked him a lot more than the fake biblical Mm -hmm. version of himself that he tried to put out there. Because when you start doing Mm -hmm. fuck shit, man, like people are going to be like, that's not very (laughs) Christ-like, you know? Yeah. So. Well, especially if you hold up, you know, when you get into that, whether it's from a religious or just like moral or any sort of absolutist ideology i feel like right mm-hmm. i mean that's really any any absolute ideology is you put a certain standard uh, around yourself or especially if you're judging other people by that standard yeah then and then you, you you're really setting yourself up for failure because you know who's perfect right i was actually it's really interesting i went to a conference last weekend in san diego and you know every conference that i go to i'm either presenting at or doing a workshop or, you know, it's for work, right? Like it's to get a certain skill set or to network with certain people. It's always like a, a business purpose behind when I travel and go to these things. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, you know what, like, I'm going to do something just for me. You know, last year was a great year. I'm starting off 2023. I'm going to go and I'm just going to go something that's like a conference I'm interested in just for like my own development, knowledge, fun, whatever. And I found this interesting conference and it was called the, it's like comments for it's like human evolution and consciousness. And it it was like, you know, it's gonna be the science and um and and some some spirituality and even some like mysticism, religion all kind of mixed together to like study where we're at with consciousness. And I'm like, that is my jam, you know, like yeah, I'm here for it. Let's do that. That sounds awesome. Let's let's I don't I let's let's talk, let's hear some crazy stuff, let's 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 push the boundaries, let's you know, let's let's get you know, let, approach it with an open mind. And my, my buddy who's kind of like that went with me. And you know. To that point, though, they it was a whole community, a consciousness community, I guess, out there. And it's kind of, I guess, maybe the kind of new, new age kind of movement. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> there was some really good stuff in it. But then there was also some some of the presenters where it started off really interesting. You know, it was like, oh, that's an interesting concept. I haven't thought about, you know, energy that way. Or here's the background on, you know, frequency healing. I'm like, oh, okay, we're there, there. And then it got to, you know, two of the first three presenters where they got to some point, made some some giant leap 
in, in uh, either their science or their reasonable deduction, you know, and the, uh, and, and it was like, wait a minute, just like, for example, one guy's like talked about evolution, making a, a leap or our brain structure, making a leap about 200,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't, I don't study and read all that stuff, but I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to like human evolution and science and stuff. So I'll read, you know, scientific American and this sort of stuff. And I researched some of the stuff for my book too, to put together some of the mindset, um, to make sure it was science backed what I was teaching in terms of optimal mindset in terms of human evolution. So I, I know, I know at least like, I know what's out there, you know, I'm like some leading edge scientist, but like, I know what's, what, what is currently been uh exposed or what's what the current data is and he's like this this leap and you know evolution can't can't solve for this or can't can't explain it and we all know that darwinian evolution is flawed anyway and i'm like wait a minute this guy's like taking some big leaps right now and then and then i'm like evolution's like fundamentally flawed i'm like evolution pretty much it describes everything around you if you actually understand what evolution means right and then and then he was like, so that must have been, you know, that means there was a divine intervention, you know, moving us to be these spiritual beings. I'm wow. like, first of all, there, there, there is, there is a gap that we had this like accelerated development around that time frame. Like that's kind of accepted. Yeah. But just the, and we're not sure why. And, you know, there's a few different theories why, which I think are pretty interesting, but to be like, just because we don't know, or because one theory doesn't fully right now explain that doesn't mean it has to be your answer. Yeah. And he was like adamant. Like that's, that's the only, that's the only way I know it. He's like all about him and his beliefs and how, uh, you know, he knows the secret and everyone's trying to keep it from you. And I was just like, what am I watching right now? And, you know, and, and then one guy too, and another guy started going that same way. And then all of a sudden it went from like, okay, all right. Yeah. Frequency healing. Okay. And, uh, you know, how, how vibrations affect you and chakras. I'm like, I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. I'm getting it. And then, and then all of a sudden I like looked away and there was like a, like a devil flame picture with like Fauci and Epstein <laughs> on a thing. I'm like, what is happening? I'm like, what did I just walk into right now, bro? Like, what is, oh what God. Is, what, what, what sort of leap did we just make between sound therapy and a devil emoji of Epstein and, and Fauci? And then Bill Gates was on the next one. Oh, and I'm like, man. what is go? What sort of room am I in right now? People so are it was, wild, yeah, it was really interesting, man. but <laughs> and, 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 and the one guy with the crazy and the stuff was like, got like a standing ovation at the end. I'm like, Holy shit. Like what is happening? What room did I put myself in? <laughs> so um, it was interesting. It was not quite as what I thought it was going to be. I will say that there was a couple of good people. There was a, like a lady who had a, a near death experience and the way that she described that experience um, probably a little bit. Cause it's like my bias, right. My cognitive bias of like my sort of belief system, or at least what I know and could accept based on like my model of the world, she was sort of in that world. So it was, maybe easier for me to accept that. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take into account that it, you know, we're all, we're all biased with our backgrounds, but she described this near death experience and, and the enter and how we're all energy. And that's kind of like the soul and that chain of thought I, I, I can relate to. And I think that, you know, there's some interesting science and spirituality around that when it comes to things like quantum like quantum physics and quantum mechanics that kind of explain, you no know, energy can be either, you know, uh, lost or gained rights and, and sort of the randomness and all those things can come together to sort of give some sort of scientific background or credence to the idea of a soul or energy and a source. So she described the, her experience. She was in coma for 30, 30 hours. Wow. She's in coma for 30 hours. Um, 
and she died at the end of it. And I think for a pretty significant amount of time, like she was like in real time, she was, you know, like dead for, you know, not minutes, right? Yeah. Like tens of minutes, like half hour, she was gone and her family was around grieving. And then, uh, and she was an Indian woman and, uh, she described, she, she became this energy and then immediately saw, and she used the term saw kind of loosely, but her, her father, who they were sort of estranged because she had rejected the cultural norms for, for, you know, she was, was pretty, I think, orthodox sort of, uh, Indian family in terms of they tried to set her up for like an arranged marriage multiple mm, times and she rejected yeah. that. And so she was sort of an outcast, you know, and, uh, and, and they had, so they had sort of a tumultuous relationship and he had died and she, you know, met him and she was like, said, you know, she felt worried, like, Oh no, he's going to be disappointed in me or whatever. And they said, it was just there. That's like the disappointment, depression, like all these things, these emotions we consider, she's like, those are all just human. That's like, those are because of the, the, perceptions that are limited by our physical bodies. But when we're out of that body, like those things don't even exist. It's not a thing. Mm. So you're just contentment and fulfillment. And, and she's like, and I say saw, but it's really just energy. And it's also not like a telepathy because telepathy is like, you can hear what I'm thinking, but we think in words. She's like, but there's no words. So the only way, the way she described it was you communicated by your essence and, and, uh, that your, uh, when your soul leaves its body, it becomes a spirit. And basically it was sort of a reincarnation play. Basically all this energy comes together. And then that energy, we, we are part of this larger sort of combined consciousness belief system, right? Like a combined energy source. And some people could like call that God or Allah, whatever you want to call it, but it, it's the source energy, but we're all just a small part of it. And that in order for the energy to learn about itself and improve and get experiences, it has to come into different dimensions and physical forms. And so like your soul made a decision or your spirit, you as a spirit, as your energy you decided to come into the world for a purpose, right? To do something, to mm -hmm. learn something, to make, to affect other energies in a way that they can't in their, in that realm and then bring it back. And so she's like, I saw my, you know, my loved ones and like connected with them. But she's like, the other thing is like also connected with loved ones from the future or loved oh. ones I'd never met, but like we're, we're connected in all these different lives, but I just knew them. Yeah. That is wild. And so that was wild. Right. So it's really interesting. And it, and it also ties in, there's other people with near death experiences and I'm not one to say, I know anything about it. I'm just saying when she was going through this, I was like, okay, all right. Like. And it, something to ponder, right? Like something yeah. to explore. Like that's what I came here for, right? I didn't come here for so somebody to tell me answers. I don't, I know that, but I just thought this is sort of a mind expanding, like interesting experience to see these ever call their concepts. But she approached it as like when people ask her questions about it and things like that of, Hey, look, this is my experience. This is the knowledge that I, I gained from this experience. And I'm just trying to pass on like this perspective, yeah. but this is my beliefs or this is what happened. As were the other guys with the crazy slides and the, <laughs> the big beliefs, were just like, "I'm the one. Yeah. I know the secret. They're 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 trying to keep it from you. I'm the one." I was like, "This is uh, kind of crazy." And then, of course, but those are the type of people, right? That are, you know, the um, uh, was it was it wasn't was it Joel Austin or no? It was the guy who's the guy from uh, Liberty University. It's like the evangelical, right? Who like he he was. Uh, we'll have to we'll have to look it up, but. The guy, it was like a, a very famous evangelical family. And then it turns out, you know, that like he had like an open relationship. His wife was sleeping with a pool boy and they were doing all the drugs, all this stuff, right. That comes out when you play that sort of holier than thou, you know, absolutist and uh, you're, you're sort of destined to fail, I think. So it's just an important lesson. All that. Let me look up who that is. 
Jerry Falwell. Yeah. Uh, Falwell. Falwell. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly it. Yeah, Jerry Falwell. So when, you was, were, when you were saying that thing about the lady communicated with her father mm-hmm. without words, isn't that what you said? Yeah. Like they had, so I did. I did ayahuasca. Like was it? It wasn't last mm-hmm. year, but the year before. And I saw a friend of mine who killed himself in in my uh, ayahuasca experience. And we, I tell people all the time, I was like, I had a conversation with him, but we didn't talk. And it's like the weirdest thing to tell somebody and to describe it. But when you said that, it kind of resonated with me. I was like, that's kind of what I felt when I was dealing with my, my buddy. But it's like we had a we had a whole long conversation, but he never said a word. It's so yeah. weird, man. But it's kind of so like that's the, the, kind of that, dream state you're in or whatever. Yeah, but that, that 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 communicating through just like the the essence is how she described it. That's how you would describe it too. Like you think that's an accurate description about yeah. how you were able to communicate? It was like your essence was communicating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was that that's that's really interesting because yeah, I want to I'd like to you know hear more about that. But that and it's interesting because ayahuasca is right is like basically putting you in that DMT induced state. Yeah, which you know we kind of all know that that's you know released. Uh, different times, but you know, at birth and death and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. We've got the the document, the document in the book, the spirit molecule, and all those things. But so, and it's interesting how so that how those are sort of interrelated and heard near the death experience, and and how you start to see these similarities, right, between the two to these different experiences from different people, and they all have these sort of common commonalities. And I think that's something to explore and study. Um, and and for me, I think again, a little bit of my bias was to when in, in my book a warrior's mindset which we you know we talked about a bit of kind of where that came from and why but i make a bold claim i basically set out to solve for human discontent okay that's what i came out to do because i was working with these different leaders and companies and what i realized was i was trying to i'm really trying to change the conversation around around leadership and culture around leadership and expectations mm-hmm. for people because i think it just is the sort of key to the uh I mean, it's it's key to human development. It's key to developing communities, it's, and it's key to business success. So, anyway, but as I worked with these these business executives, senior executives, you know, when we would talk about business, they're all in, right? Like management. Oh, we're gonna talk about you know the metrics and how they how the the market compares to you know what they're doing and their processes, and they're just in it. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's all management. Let's talk about how how let's talk about leadership and how to inspire people to be them their best selves and and build capacity as human beings. So let's talk about, you know, your, your self-leadership, where are you at with these things? And we talk about it and I realized it would kind of clam up mm. and I realized, oh, they haven't done the work on themselves. Like they are not able to lead themselves. They're not masters of their mindset. Yeah. And so how would you expect them to be able to, uh, you know, to sort of mentor and lead and help others become sort of masters of themselves. There was this, there's this big disconnect in the self-leadership and mindset between these, you know, these folks and, and there'd be disconnects in what they were telling me in terms of their model of the world, what's important and what, um, and what they were doing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so their values and what their actions were, were not aligned necessarily. So they would say, they say, what, you know, what are the top five priorities in your life? You know, we go through it and be like, you know, my family, my kids, work, you know, my health. And then I would, you know, look at it like, well, let's look at your calendar and see how you're spending time. And like, I don't, I see a lot of business meetings on your calendar. I don't see a single, you know, date night with your wife. Mm-hmm. I don't see any time on your calendar to spend with your kids, but you said that's a number two priority. Well, how is that with your kids? Well, my kids, 
you know, they're not really getting along and I don't really talk. We don't really talk much. I'm like, so this is, this is success for you is, you know, making 600 K a year and having kids that don't talk to you. And they're like, well, no. And I'm like, what are you doing about it? I don't know. You know, so it's just like they hadn't even thought through like, who are, who are you? What are your values? What are you trying to do here? What's the bigger purpose? They were just kind of still kind of just kind of going through life, doing what they thought was the right thing in the moment. You know, what society's telling them to do. They never sat down and thought, well, what do I want? How do I get there? So how do you have help, help other people do that? And, and, and you have to be able to do that to experience fulfillment. So anyway, I have these six keys that I went through that I developed. And the third is the North star theory. And it's about purpose, right? Direction. And my North Star theory says that every living organism, every living creature is its most happiest, content, fulfilled when its activities and environment are aligned with its genetic purpose. So, and, and I think this plays out. I mean, you could take it down to, well, I'll tell you where it came from. So I was going through a really hard time. I was just transitioning out of the military. I had gone through a divorce. Like in, in two years, I had, Transitioned out of the military after 14 years, gone through a divorce, uh, had to take on a bunch of debt to start my first company, and the business was failing. <laughs> so there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Um, and I was super stressed, right? I mean, entrepreneurship's no joke, right? Like I I had two panic attacks in three years, and I spent 22 months leading soldiers in combat and never had a single one. So wow. it was two years in combat, never had a panic attack, but three years entrepreneurship gave me two. Um so anyway, I'm going through a hard time and I'm throwing my ball for I'm throwing the ball for my dog, Java. Uh, it's a chocolate lab, Java bean. And uh, I'm throwing it and she's just in ecstasy, right? Like chasing the ball, grabbing it, bring it back. I'm just like tail wagging, just, just shaking with anticipation. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, and I'm just like, man, must be nice. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, if only it was that easy, you know, yeah. like that's all you need, you know? And I'm like thinking, well, what is, you know, well, first I thought, well, it must be nice. Why, why can't it be that easy? And I thought, well, why is it that easy for her? Right? Like, why, why is this the only thing she needs to be, be around me and, you know, be around her, her pack and chase this ball and bring it back. Yeah. And she's good to go. Like she doesn't need anything else. And if you start to think about it, it's like, Oh, well, what I, the, the conclusion I came to was what's what she's designed to do. <laughs> like you had natural selection to this chase mechanism, but now we've, we've, we made the Labrador retriever, mm-hmm. right? Like, Genetically, we changed it to make it so her genetics down to the cellular level says ball is life. <laughs> like every cell in her body, ball is life, right? And so then it's like, well, okay, well, is this universal? Is this just true to dogs? Well, clearly it's universal, right? Like my, my wife now, you know, we, um, we don't have kids yet. We're, we're, we're planning to start soon. We're excited about that. We've been married for years. But in, in replace of that, we have two dogs and like a growing number of plants so like my house is turned to a greenhouse right it's like 12 14 i don't even know how many plants we have now yeah all kinds of plants and and you know so even down to like that that what you call it maybe a simpler life form if you want to use those terms right but a different life form if you take up you know one of those plants that's meant to be in the rainforest and you keep it inside and you don't water it it's it's not going to be happy right it's gonna yeah. die if you take a plant that's supposed to be a cactus and you water it every day, it's going to die, right? Mm-hmm. They're both plants. So, but when you align its activities, like how much you water it, what's around it, and its environment, and you align those with, with what it's designed to be in and do, it flourishes mm. the same way it does for Java. So then I came to, what about, okay, what about people, right? Are we, are we any different? And I thought, well, 
if it's universal across literally every other life form I can think of. Uh, and the last example I'll give on this, I think it's an important one is like uh, during the, when you talked about how you started this podcast at the beginning of, you know, right before COVID started. Well, when COVID started, we went through that, like, oh, it's going to be a snow day for a few weeks uh, phase <laughs> yeah. that we all went through. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, so my, my wife and I started binge watching the zoo shows. I don't know if you've ever seen these on Netflix. You're watching these zoo shows like San Diego Zoo and Melbourne Zoo. Mm-hmm. You ever watching those? No. Uh, if you like animals, you'll, you'll like them. So it's it's really interesting. You know, it's it's just cute, like easy watching, you know, stuff, right? Especially during sort of that turbulent time. It's like, hey, let's let's watch something sort of happy and fun and yeah. you know, innocent, right? Uh and, and I, we love animals, but they have to do these enrichment activities with almost every animal, especially the higher level ones, especially like the apex predators. Like for a, a lion, they you know, they have to every once in a while they have to simulate a hunt. So they'll have a, a oh. thing going on a track or a ball, and they have to they have to go and hunt it and then they feed it. Oh, I didn't know that. If they if yeah, because and they have to do it with almost every creature, they have these enrichment activities where they have to simulate their natural instincts or their natural behaviors for otherwise they they mentally deteriorate. They get oh. sick. And like a lion, if you just put it in a cage, you know, by itself, especially like by itself without a, you know, without a pride around it. Um, and you just give it, you know, you give it, you can give it the best health care and the best food in the world, it's still gonna deteriorate mm. because it it's 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 not doing what it's meant to do. You yeah. know, like uh and so for so so I started thinking about that. Well, if you think about have you ever read the book or, or uh Tribe by Sebastian Juncker, but that was an influential book in 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 my understanding of sort of sociology and, and human behavior and other studies in sociology and psychology, you start to realize that we are communal creatures as human beings. Like that's literally what separated us from other more non like non-human, non-homo sapien primates, even like Neanderthals and stuff like that. Neanderthals and and other earlier forms of humans where we developed the ability to communicate. And so we started operating in larger, more cohesive units. Mm. So we be in this tribe and you know, still to this day, there's a lot of science that says. And there's a certain number and I forget the name, but it's like 120 to 150, basically 120 people. And it still shows us that we can only really have about 120, around 100 to 150, around 120 uh, close relationships in, in our lives and really know that amount of people. There's a set number of people there. And that happens to be sort of the also, interestingly, about the number that, of a group that can be, it's basically as small as you can get before genetic diversity becomes an issue. That's interesting. Right? Yeah. So there's, there's like, they found this equilibrium that we sort of developed that at this tribal level, right? Because if you think about it, it was what allows us to sort of, to to procreate more than other other types of us. So if you have one group that only lives in isolated, you know, uh, immediate families, mm-hmm. which is kind of what like Neanderthals did, well, now it's really hard to procreate because you don't trust anybody else. It's not your family. Mm-hmm. And if you procreate inside your family, you're going to have some genetic issues. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, so that creates an issue, but if you can get to that sort of key number over a hundred to 150, you're close enough to know everyone. You kind of have this trust. Everyone has a role, but you have enough genetic diversity that you're not going to sort of like create this inbred species. that can't procreate. Yeah. So it's really interesting to, to know that and apply it. And I, and believe it or not, I'm coming back to the near death experience. <laughs> the Indian okay. So the <laughs> so so anyway, all those things being said during the research said, okay, 
So that means if we're looking at what our North star is, mm-hmm. like what is our genetic purpose and environment, what's well, a community, right? If that's why, that's why you put uh, someone in isolation, right? Um, and in, in prison or something like that, you put them, you know, uh, in the box by themselves, they, they start to deteriorate, right? It's considered torture to isolate a human from other humans. Yeah. Well, if we weren't communal creatures, that wouldn't happen, mm. right? If we didn't inherently need community, we could be isolated by ourselves forever and the average human would be fine. And that's not the case. Yeah. So that shows us that's not true. And then almost all the science now, as we deal with anxiety and depression in our society and happy happiness, what we see and study over and over again is that may, the number one key or like, at least correlated variable to people reporting higher levels of contentment and happiness is the quality of their close relationships. It's almost impossible to be content and happy and feel like you have a great life. If you're all your relationships are shitty. Yeah. If your marriage is shitty, if your friendships suck, if you can't trust anyone that is like a human, it's almost impossible for like a normal functioning human to be, have, have a good life, a happy life in those settings. So that's why the North star theory applies to human beings. So we're communal creatures. So what that means is for us to feel fulfillment and contentment and maximize our life, our lives have to be about impacting others. That's how we get fulfillment. Yeah. And unfortunately we're sort of in a society that has hijacked that reward system that developed to, to be in a tribe. And now we're getting you no know, easy hits of dopamine through you know social media, entertainment, drugs, whatever it might be, right? Like mm-hmm. getting likes on, you know, my, my, my bikini pic on Instagram or liking a <laughs> bikini pic on Instagram. Right. Yeah. Just like, whatever. I right? just like that. Whatever ass videos we're watching at the time, this little <laughs> hit, but it's, but it's short, but it's short lived, you know, it goes away and it's, and, and then, and it releases dopamine and dopamine is, you know, uh, only wants more dopamine, but the long loving, uh, sort of cocktail of emotions and, and hormones that come out when you, uh, when you have quality relationships, when you have, you know, what we call like love or community, that, that fulfillment is, is almost being marketed out of us as an important thing. And, it, and it's really sad. And that causes a lot of the, what we call the diseases of civilization, anxiety, depression. So this, this idea of if you align your activities and environment with your genetic purpose, it creates fulfillment is what I have come to as a conclusion at this point until I get more, you know, I've tried to test and break this theory, right? Just like, you know, I, th- I think we should approach all our beliefs like a scientist and the scientific method isn't about trying to prove yourself right. It's about trying to prove your hypothesis wrong. Mm-hmm. And the more times you can't prove it wrong, the more likely it is to be true. And that's the way more people should approach their belief systems, I think. Um, so that's why I approach mine. So I'm at this point, that's my, that's my answer for how do we create fulfillment is we have to do that, right? Well, the interesting part to come back to this, this lady with this near-death experience was what she was saying was that our souls come into our, our spirits come into our bodies and inhabit this physical form for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And when we don't live that purpose or we get too far away, usually because of societal pressures or doing what we think other people want us to do, what our family does. So we we stop listening internally to what our intuition is telling us and what what gives us energy instead sort of fit in this other model that that the further you get from that, that creates resistance in the body and stress in the body. And that's where almost all chronic diseases come from. Mm. So she had cancer. So she died from cancer and was in a coma for 30. She was had 
the metastasized cancer came back and said she had this realization. She decided to come back. I need to come back to sort of pass on this message. So she, her soul decided to come back. She said, as soon as she made that decision, she woke up, her eyes were awake. She, she had been seen in new doctors because she had watched them uh, treat her. So knew their names, even they never met before when she was in a coma, all these things. Wow. And was cancer free in two months. So, and I'm not saying, and, and she even said, Hey, there's some outside factors like toxicity and subject. There's other factors that can create these chronic diseases. Right. Yeah. But in general, we know that over 80% of all chronic diseases are 100% preventable. We know that like diabetes, most mental illness, like uh, most cancers, all those things. If you sort of live the way that your body and mind and spirit are designed to live, mm-hmm. almost all those things go away. So that was sort of her takeaway was that you should, you need to listen because when you hear that, that intuition is really your body trying to tell you that your soul is trying to tell you, this is where you should go. And if you listen to that more, and if you do some work to figure out what that is for you, what gives you energy, what uh, creates fulfillment for you, and you live that purpose, you will avoid most, uh, most illness and feel fulfilled. So I guess that resonates with me because basically every living creature is this most happy, um, content and fulfilled when nice activities are aligned with genetic purpose, mm-hmm. scratch out genetic purpose, replace, replace that with spiritual purpose. And that's basically what she said. So it's really interesting that that was my, my take was genetic purpose, but hers was basically the exact same message. Just, Hey, but what I'm calling genetic purpose, she's calling spiritual purpose, Yeah. but the outcome and, and observations are the same. So anyway, that's why I like that message, but it really aligns with, you know, sort of my values and my take on, you know, my experiences. That is, that's a wild ride, man. But I mean, it is so true <laughs> though. <like>, time. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. so true though. Like we, we really just need to get down to the basic things of life because all this other bullshit that we do every day really doesn't fucking matter, especially if your health's not in order. Cause I always say like, why do you want nice shit if you're going to die tomorrow? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Or you feel like crap, you know, yeah. you know, you, you feel like crap. You don't have energy. Unfortunately, I think that some people and, 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 uh, you know, I, I had, uh, my first business was a martial arts fitness hybrid concept franchise mm-hmm. that I had I bought and, and tried to run. Um, and so I, I was, I've been in a health space and, you know, I spent, I was an athlete growing up. I was, uh, I wrestled on the, on the division one team at, at, at West point for army while I went to school there for two years. And, um, and so anyway, I've, you know, infantry, special forces, all that stuff where, you know, health, health, fitness, all that stuff kind of at a, at a, a pretty elite level for a long time. And now still my other business is a jujitsu business called Legion Jiu-Jitsu. And then you're in Memphis here in Nashville. I've got, we've got three locations here. And um, so I still am a black, I'm a black belt in jujitsu. I still, you know, actively compete and train and really big in health and wellness. And I, what I've seen is the unfortunate part is a lot of people don't even realize they're sick. Mm-hmm. Like they felt bad for so long. They've been, you know, having their, you know, four diet Cokes a day since middle school. And, you know, they've been, or, or regular Cokes or whatever. Right. And they've been, you know, eating fast food, you know, two thirds of their meals or some form of processed foods for the majority of their meals for 10 years. And they don't realize how bad they feel because it just became their baseline. Yeah. And then when you see those people, when those, you know, that person loses 50, 60, 80 pounds and they, they get healthy and they start doing this practice. They're like, you see this light bulb. I'm like, Oh my God, I, I didn't know I, that I could feel this way. And that's the unfortunate part is I think we've got too many people 
that feel that. And it's what I noticed in the health industry when I was really in it was, you know, people who maybe were, let's say were athletes or were healthy or were in shape. And when they were younger, maybe played sports or stayed active in their early twenties. And they knew what it felt like to be an athlete. Like they knew how their body felt and moved so much easier to get them back there mm. because they, they still have that memory and they know that it can change, but someone who almost like has never had that in their life. Yeah. Oh, it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely under 50%. You know, I don't know what the numbers are. Some sort of health uh, industry expert would probably know those numbers, but I mean, it's gotta be under sadly, I would say under 20, maybe under 10% of people who never got taught those principles, never grew up in a healthy household, health, household, you know, maybe they had childhood obesity. Cause they're, that was just like the example though, to get that person to calm down to being optimal and healthy and taking care of themselves. The success rate is super low, I think, because it's such a hard road to get there. And there's no point of reference. Like there's no, they don't even know what the reward is at the end of the, at yeah. the end of, end of it. So it's hard for them to find motivation to stick, stick through and persevere through the necessary challenges to make that kind of change. And that's, that's a sad state that, that we're sort of in, I think, as, as, as a society right now. And I do think that COVID, especially toward the end, right? At first it was sort of just, a pharmaceutical solution, right? Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, and 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 I'm not I'm not going to be throwing up a slide with you know Fauci <laughs> and, and, and a devil emoji, so I'm not not going there. Yeah. Although that would be an awesome catch twenty two. All of a sudden, I started there, came back, and I was like, bam, I threw it up. That would be awesome. Um, I, I got to try that sometime. But uh, but you know, but now it's just like, well, what's the best way to prevent you know uh, negative outcomes? Well, if you're if you're in shape and you take care of yourself mentally, you're getting enough sleep, your stress is down, you're physically active and you eat right, your chances, and you're under 75, your chances of dying of COVID with, unless you have some sort of uh, other genetic disorder yeah, is almost zero. Yeah. Like basically zero. So it's just like, and, and, and I think that that, I do think that message was a tough lesson to learn societally, but I do think that, you know, not everyone, but I think a big swath of people that maybe were in that middle space started to realize that, you know, maybe going to the gym and eating right and all this stuff isn't about vanity. And maybe it really is about, you know, health and, and being able to maximize your experience of life. And, you know, to me, it really, for that, for that health and, and the mindset stuff just comes to, down to gratitude. Yeah. You know, it's like how to me, and this is my personal opinion, I don't want to offend anyone, but we got to speak our truth, right? It's like, when I see someone who isn't taking care of themselves, I, immediately think, how ungrateful are you mm. for the blessing that you've been given? Yeah. That's what I see. And I know that's not everyone's. I'm not trying to like fat shame or anything, but like to me, I'm like, you were given this one body, how miraculous, whatever your belief system is, you know, like even if you're an atheist, just do the math. So one in 400 trillion, I think, or trillion chance of you being born as a yeah. human being. Like, so even if you're, even if you don't have, if you have zero spiritual sort of belief, which is, it's fine if that's what you want to do. Like, even if you're that person, at least like worship the statistics, like at least how lucky are you, you know, like you're, yeah. you're, you have a, you had a better chance of winning a power of, of, of winning a Powerball than you do of being a human being. So mm-hmm. like at least respect that enough to like take care of the vessel and do your best. Right. And, and, and so that's why I think that sort of that, that, that perspective about life and yourself and living with gratitude has to be the base of, of your entire mindset 
in, in my opinion. Because without that, because that that is the energy, that's the that's the eternal fuel that you can always come back to when things are tough or you're not sure where to go. You can always come back to, man, how how great is it to be alive right now? Yeah. Like how many people would switch places for me? <laughs> and if you come back to that, your your gratitude goes and you know, I actually I, I came up with uh what I call it seven seven fuels of gratitude. And you know, it's things like your known foundation, right? Because sometimes people, whatever reason, they're not in a good headspace where they're not they won't do things just for themselves. Like they don't think they're worthy enough to do the work or to even have, you know, to have success. Some people don't think they're worthy of success. The amount of friends I have, um, unfortunately, I'm trying to work with them that a lot of them, my friends currently came from uh, maybe East Tennessee or have some friends from Memphis area and stuff. And I see them, they're so talented and they're so good and they're having the success. And then I see them start to be like, oh, well, I'm like, what's going on, man? You know, or, you know, there are girls too. Like, what's going on? You know, I just came from here. I should just be happy with what I have. And I'm like, mm. where the fuck is this mindset coming from? You know, because they just grew up around that. That's what they were taught was they didn't deserve what these other people had. Like the other people that had all these things or were living this life, they were different people somehow. It's like, no, we're the same person, you know, it's, we're all the same. And so if you look at your, some people aren't willing to do the work for themselves, but you know, everyone has loved ones, right? Like everyone has like, unless you just like were thrown into the woods and just walked out at 22, like a functioning human being, like people put time and energy into you, Yeah, you know, like parents, coaches, mentors, friends, whoever, they sacrifice their most important resource in life, which is time for you. Um, And so guess what? If you're not enough, like, are you saying they're not either? Right? Like doing your best, applying yourself is like, your mom, your dad, your grandma who take care of you because your parents weren't around, your friends, your teachers, like they're not worth it. Screw them. Their, their time was wasted. Like what a slap in the face to the people that you say you love. Yeah. Right. So, and that's just one of seven. So if you get these different things in place and you stack them up and you create a mindset around that, you, you could overcome and push through, I think really anything. It really becomes this eternal fuel source. How do you shift somebody's mindset though? Like how do you change somebody that might be quote unquote mentally weak? Uh, the, the challenge of, of my life, unfortunately, I think of it. Um, <laughs> so I think first of all, one realization that I had, and it didn't really happen until I was out of the military. I mean, I was a, you know, say a green Bray, you know, team commander and two different teams. And I think because I spent, so much time around in my mind, the army, the people I was around was a diverse group. Mm -hmm. And like racially it was background wise, it was all these things, but mindset wise, right? Like everything in life is a filter and like signing up for the military is a filter. Mm -hmm. Like a certain type of person walks in, signs on the dotted line and actually shows up to go to basic. And then another type of person stays with it. Mm. And then not only that, but like I was in the, I was in the light infantry. Like another person says, you know what, of all the jobs here, I'm not just signing up to like get some skills for college. Like I'm going to go make my primary job, you know, closing with and destroying the enemy. That's a type of person. And then I was a green beret. Like you have select, like all these things come down to in my head. I'm like, well, we're from all over and we're racially diverse and we're from all these backgrounds and economic. And then, but I realized like, Oh, but we're pretty like, this is a certain type of person, yeah, <laughs> you know? And it's a very, and, and I, and I knew that coming out after you did special forces that, you know, sort of the, I want to say average civilian, but like the by a statistically average, right. Like mean person that 
was probably different from mindset from a green beret, right? Like I, I knew enough to be like, they're probably different. Right. I didn't realize how, Mm. how sort of unique that group was in terms of what their mindset was in terms of their values, in terms of just how they thought about the world and themselves and obligation and all these things. Right. So it, that's one of, you know, there's a few reasons my first business failed and I went through a bankruptcy and lost everything. And there's a few reasons that were sort of out of my control, I would say, right. Or just like, I didn't, I really just, I like got contractually obligated with a lease that was way too high, but, and I shouldn't have done it, but on their hand, the franchise company, let me do it. Right. Like all these different things. It's like, okay, but there's other things that I can look back, like what, what were hundred percent my control. And I turned out to be awful at hiring people. Mm. Like my GM, who was a friend of mine, eventually had to pull me aside. And she was like, Hey, Sean, come here. You know, and I'm the owner, right? My GM, like, yeah, what's up? You know, what's going on? She's like, you're not allowed to hire anyone anymore. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, oh, okay, okay, fair enough. Because you know, it. Uh, I have this, and, and it's funny. I have uh, multiple clients actually over the over the last few years now that have had this similar, I guess, problem, if you will, mindset, which is it's a gift and a curse. Like I really think one of my strengths is I can see the potential in people. Mm-hmm. Like if I get to know you, I can be like, oh, well, unless he changes this. He's never going to get here. But yeah. I started to think about it, you know, oh, he has all the skills or she has all the skills, all the mindset, all the background, all the intelligence, the social, you know, the emotional intelligence. They can go, oh, this is a, they're going to kill it. They're going to mm-hmm. be great. But, and with what, what I was blind to was, but do they want it? Mm. Are they ready for it? Yeah. And I was not good at evaluating that. I'm better at it now. I've been working at it, but I'm not, it's still not a strength for me. And part of it is, almost like a willful optimism. Like I almost don't want to be good at it to yeah. a certain extent because I like, I like looking at everyone through this lens of what potential they have and mm-hmm. what potential we can do as a society. I don't want to be, I want to be a realist, but I don't want to be a pessimist, I guess. Yeah. Sense, right. So anyway, so as you, uh, what, what I started realizing as I got into that world was I still thought I could change people. And in the army, you almost can because one, they they basically have submitted to that, mm-hmm. right? Like they signed up saying, you know, realistically, if they don't do what I tell them to do, I can put them in a jail cell. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So you you so you have you have a you have a command over them and they signed a contract saying that. Mm-hmm. So that allows you to be like, all right, you know, little shithead private, they can't get <laughs> can't get their stuff together. Like yeah. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to be in bed here. You're going to report here. You're going to do a book report on this. You're going to come, you know, like, and you can actually like, then you can really make change, but it's because they have to, right? Yeah. Like they've submitted to wanting that, but uh, another sovereign human being, you know, uh, that is your employee. You can't, you can't do that. And so obviously it's a much different system you're working out with, a, you know, an employee. So I started having this tough realization that I can't change anyone. And I'll tell you what, to get to your point about mindset, but what that did for me too, is it switched me to be like, well, how, how can I influence people to give them the best chance of changing themselves? Mm -hmm. And what I found was it was actually to stop caring or attaching. I mean, not caring because I do care, but attaching myself to their outcome. Mm. And really said, you know what, I'm going to turn internal and be, and be what 
before I would have considered selfish, which is I'm going to be the best version of myself I can possibly be. And all that extra energy I was pouring into other people and worrying, well, oh, Billy's not getting it. Sally's just, she's, what's she going to do with her mom? And I'm not sure. And it's like all this worry about other people's problems and how I'm going to change them to make their life better. Cause I have this obligation. I said, no, it's me. And as soon as I did that, my development took off. My business took off. My life took off. My relationships got better. And I, I noticed the people that were around me also raised up naturally because mm. they started to see what I was doing. And so it, was, it, it pulled them up and, and it attracted it. Also, what it did is it naturally attracted. This can't, damn, we're coming full circle now to the whole genuine <laughs> thing from the beginning of this, this, start of this conversation. Yeah. But when you're, you're that genuine self and you, you were, you're, you're trying and you, you do, that's how you inspire other people to change themselves Yeah. is by changing yourself. And and offering help and advice, but not attaching to it. Because if you do that, they'll drag you down when, when they're with, and you're giving up your control because if it's, imp- you cannot control the, out- the outcome of that person's life, you can't control it. And if you attach yourself to its outcome, then you're giving up control of how your mindset is. You're giving up control of your life to something you can't control. Yeah. And that's not good. So to come back to. So in your genuine self, you also attract the people that are ready that sort of, you know, I'll go back to the, the woo-woo consciousness conference that match your vibration, <laughs> yeah. right? That match your energy. And you're just, and they're, you're going to attract it like, like flies to, to, you know, I don't know, or honey to bee, or bees to honey or whatever. Like mm-hmm. it literally just attach it. And then, and then you're like, oh, now I'm around the people that I want, that I should be around that are ready to, whether kind of above, below me, whatever they're at in sort of mindset. Um, but we're all, starting to think the same way. We're all wanting to change. We're all wanting to do that. And so then I saw that I could help more people because I was around the right people. So that's the first thing I think that's important is it's like, you know, there's a reason that when they, you get an airplane, they say in the oxygen mask, put it on first. There's a reason they say that. You yeah. Know? And so you've got to do that first. So that's the first thing is a lot of people trying to change other people when their shit is still completely jacked, right? Or they're not putting their balance of energy between what they're doing for themselves and their own development, what they're doing, trying to change others is off kilter, you know? And so that's the main thing. And the other thing is we, what I found is it has to be a cycle and that action has to come before mindset. So and, and I'll use a really simple example. So again, I, my book, Aware is Mindset, The Six Keys to Greatness. The first key is perspective and gratitude. So we'll do some gratitude type exercises, right? I'll have them start listing out, you know, the known foundation members and why, right? who was, who are the top three people that influenced you and what sacrificed for you that, so you could be where you're at and why is that important to you, right? Or, and then we do one for, I have people doing for groups or historical events, that they're thankful for that, you know, who sacrificed to put you or your to move society forward, whether that's industrialists and entrepreneurs and, you know, technology and engineers, or whether it's a civil rights movement or the suffragette movement or, you know, LBGTQ, whatever it is that other people sacrifice so that, that you've never met before millions mm-hmm. to push us forward collectively. So you start actually identifying those things. So what, what I'm saying is here is I haven't changed mindset yet. <laughs> We're just taking an action. Mm-hmm. We're taking an action. Actions create habits and awareness. And awareness and habits create mindset shift over time. 
And so that's what I think is so important, right? Like you're not going to change your mindset to be a person who doesn't go to the gym to a person who goes to the gym five days a week, eats right, takes their pre-workout, does their protein shake, meal preps on Sunday. You're not going to be that person and then do those things. Yeah, You're going to do those things. And then over time, they'll become a habit and create new awareness, new understanding, and then you will create a new mindset. And so, you know, people have to be willing and you have to explain them and sort of initially teach them and identify why that, why they need to do that and convince them that they're they, at least enough they have to convince them enough that they can be successful, that they can actually make the change. And then they've got to take action and it's got to be small steps. And so in, in my six keys of greatness, it goes perspective and gratitude, which is creating that energy we talked about, an internal locus of control, which means I control my destiny. The world doesn't happen to me, right? That victim mentality. And there's a whole thing around that we can talk about, but you have to have an internal control. So now you're harnessed the energy. I'm accepting responsibility for the future of my life. Then you have the North Star theory. So now I have to have an ultimate direction. How, how am I going to impact the world, the community? It could be your, just your family and friends, or it could be the world or the, the nation, or it could be your, your church, or it could be it could be your school, whatever that is. But you have, you're, you have to have a direction about how am I going to live my life to positively impact other people and identify that as like a far-reaching goal. Then you do self-discipline, which a lot of people don't want to hear, mm-hmm. but you know you have to do it, right? Like, that's that's what separates dreamers from doers, right? You can be on the couch and have the grandest ideas about yourself and the life you're going to lead and you know all that stuff and then flip the next Netflix show, not do anything. And it's a fucking waste of time and energy, right? Yeah. So like you have to actually do it through self-discipline and creating habits. And how do you take your long-term North Star and break that down? And the military would call it nesting underneath it to create, well, what does that mean? Like backwards plan, right? Like when you plan a mission in in the army, you don't start with, all right, well, first we're going to take a right step and then a left step and then a right step. And then we get somewhere. Now, what are we going to do? You start with the end in mind. Like what's Mm -hmm. the mission? What's the end state? What effect are we trying to have? And your life, you have to do the same thing. You have to think, what is my end state? You know, I think that you're, you should only be able to evaluate whether you accomplished your North star or not. There's one moment and it's your last breath. Like right before you close those eyes and you go away, you get to think back and be filled with, I fucking did it. Yeah. Or what most people report, if you talk, if you, every conversation they have with older folks, all the wiser folks who've lived life or in their last, you know, their, their past 70, 80, 90. And the vast majority of them, unfortunately, will tell you that they live with regret from the things they didn't do because they didn't find their alignment, right? Like mm. we talked about earlier with that spirit, soul with a purpose, and they just did what they thought they were supposed to. Yeah. And now it's too late. Now they don't have the energy. They don't have the resources to go back. That's what most people will tell you. So that's the only time that you can really evaluate that. Like it's never done. Like your North Star should never be done. Otherwise, it's a goal. Yeah. Like making a million dollars, you can accomplish. But if you say, I'm going to maximize my impact and change the uh, my my community's economic standing to create a great place for people to live and families, and I'm going to impact that, there's no, there's no, there's no check mark on that. Right. That's just an ideal. That's a goal. And then you backwards plan. What does that mean? All right. Well, how long is that going to take? Well, how how long am I going to give that? And you backwards plan until the current moment. And then you set your seasonal priorities up. Well, what are my three to six things that are the most important to me right now? But I've done the work. So I'm not just not just what I feel like doing right now. I've done the work and I know that it's nested underneath contributing to get to where I'm going. So now I know every activity I'm doing during the week is actually moving me forward. We're not getting to the end of a week or a month or a year or God forbid a, a lifetime Yeah, and be like, man, I did a lot of shit. I did a lot of things 
but am I any closer to anything? Am I getting better? Am I happier? I'm more, I'm a better, am I a better human being than I was two years ago? Well, if you don't, if you're just doing whatever feels like good in the moment without an end state in mind, you don't know that, right? So then self-discipline is about actually sticking with and doing those things. And then perseverance is the fifth one, because, you know, as I tell people, when you shift your mindset from, well, I just, my next goal is just the next thing. Well, my next goal is to get a nicer car. My next goal is to be able to buy a house. The next goal is to, to make $100,000, whatever the next thing is. And you you shift that to, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to maximize who I am as a human being. I'm going to maximize and grow past any capacity or potential I can ever imagine. You you better get hard, dude. Like, you know, <laughs> like you you better get hard because that's 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 a tough road, you know. Yeah. And and, it's, and 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 I and it's a tough road for two things. One, people think of the challenges, which there are challenges, and overcoming those hard times and challenges takes perseverance. But what gets more people who who at least get to this point than not is apathy. Mm. When you're young and fiery, right? Everyone to the college campus is protesting. We're going to change the world. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like 20 years later and they got a mortgage and like they got heated leather seats and those are awesome, you <laughs> yeah. know? And then they got like, they got like 55 inch TVs and the kids are running around and like they can pretty much eat and do whatever they want. And so where are you now? Where's your fire, mm. right? Where's your perseverance to overcome that, right? And so apathy gets most people. They get comfortable to a certain point. And then it just dies off and they just go on autopilot. Yeah. So that's the first five keys, right? And that's really about self-leadership. So my point on, to, on your question of how do we do that? Once once you've attracted the people, they're, they're willing and they want to change because only they can make these changes. Mm-hmm. You start taking actions on each one of those. You, you do actions for perspective and gratitude. You do actions for internal looks control. You do actions by identifying our star. Actions for self-discipline actions to build uh, to build perseverance and now you're back at perspective and gratitude and you can level up there so you make a little incremental movement in the cycle of personal development and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger now the sixth key right is leadership and that's amplification so if you really want to maximize your impact you have to do more than just be an individual contributor it's one thing to be your best self that's like that's why it's a prerequisite right like self leadership has to come before organizational leadership. It just has to. And this is a fight I'm fighting with companies right now that it's like, if your CEOs and VPs are pieces of shit, your company <laughs> is going to be a piece of shit. Yeah. Right. They've got, you've, they've got to, you've got to hold them to a certain standard and you've got to empower them with the knowledge to get them where they need to be so they can inspire and lead this culture inside it. They can, it has to be first. It has to be first. Right. And, and, and it's a constant process when it's five, but then if you're really going to maximize that impact and have fulfillment, you have to have leadership. You have to be able to communicate your, 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 your values, communicate your experience, things like we're doing now, things like you're doing with your podcast, where you're, you're, you're leading and providing new ideas and new inspiration to other people and, and getting them online. You know, every major shift for good and bad as sort of a human race or cultures has come through leadership, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, I, and I use this to shock people, but I, I don't want to get canceled and stuff but like, you know, Hitler was a motivational leader. Like he mobilized an entire society yeah. along one common vision. Now for the, for the, for the worse, right? Like <laughs> not, it wasn't, it wasn't good, Yeah. but, but I also, I also think that's important for people to know, because even when it comes to business leadership, leadership 
in terms of inspiring, motivating, getting people on the same message doesn't necessarily mean that that's the right direction mm-hmm. or it doesn't really, you know, so leadership is a powerful human tool, but that doesn't mean it's inherently good. Yeah. And so I think that's important. People are like, all right, this person is influential. Kind of reminds me of that conference. Like, okay, this guy's influential. He's charismatic. He's got a movement. He's got a vision. He mm-hmm. can get people going. But where is he taking us? Yeah. Is that a place I want to go? And so it's important for people to use, you know, use their knowledge to be able to follow the right people. But so that tends your question. We have to do that. We have to lead ourselves first. And when we do that, we'll attract the people who are sort of in that same space, that same energy, the same vibe, the same model of the world, if you want to use a psychological, like whatever term you want to use, whatever yeah. sort of uh, frame of references. And, and then when you, when you do that with yourself and you set that example, you'll naturally start influencing other people and start allowing them to do the same thing. And then for me, the process I use is we take action on each one of those steps and we come back to it. So, you know, my executive clients, we, we work around it and we come back. Now, where are we? Oh, I'm back. Okay. Now what's the next step? What's the next step? What's the next step? Right. And, and it's a lot of like successful habit creation. Like you mentioned is like the gym, right? It's like working out. You can't go in and say, well, I'm going to do, I'm going to lift, you know, 10 reps of, you know, 185 bench press. And next week I'm going to do 190. And the next week I'm going to do 195. And next week I'm going to do 200. Like, no, you're not, bro. Like, you know, like you're going to hurt, you're going to kill yourself. You know, (laughs) your body doesn't work that way. Yeah. Right. So what do we have to do? We say, well, I could do 10 sets of 185. So now I'm going to go to 195. I can only do six. Okay. I'm going to stay at 195 until I can do 12 mm. and then I'm going to go to 205 and I'm going to do, and I'm only be able to do six of those. I'm going to stay there. So habits are the same way. We make one little habit and we don't add a new habit every week. We don't add a new habit every day. We add like one habit. We do it for at least two weeks, right? Or 30 days. Then that habit loses its resistance because we're not forcing it. It becomes automatic, mm. right? Like, we, we, we have things we do in our lives that are just automatic. We don't think about them because, and those aren't hard. You know, if you train yourself to get up and put your feet on the ground before you hit the, before you hit the alarm button at first, that's, you're going to meet resistance because fucking it's comfy in there and the worm, you know, the sheets are nice and you know, your, your, your lady or, you know, man friend are next to you and they're warm and it's snuggly, you know, like it's hard, yeah. but if you, and this is what I tell people who are struggling with sort of like waking up and getting, he's like, what you need to do is one, you know, put your alarm or phone on the other side of the room. So you mm. can't hit it. It can't be no, no arm's distance. It's <laughs> yeah. not an arm's distance. It has to be somewhere else. And then train yourself. As soon as the alarm happens, you have that like cortisol spike of, oh, you wake up, mm-hmm. turn feet on the ground. No thought, no thinking, put your feet on the ground. Once those feet are on the ground, it, now there's more resistance to putting them back in <laughs> there than it is to just getting the hell up and brushing your teeth, right? And yeah. turn off the alarm. So you can set yourself up for success, but that's going to be hard. The first time you do that might, might be hard, but the 30th time it's going to be automatic. So now you have a new habit. So now I can add a new thing to my morning routine, mm-hmm. right? So it's that small habit creation, but the action comes before the mindset shift. Yeah. There's so much stuff that we do every day that we don't want to do. Like I'm sure most people don't want to go to the, their job or, you know, do some tasks, but then like stuff that's important to us, we neglect. And it's like, like you said, it's got to get that shift in your mind. It's like, why am I not, you know, putting importance in something that 
is beneficial to me. Because at the end of the day, like yeah. we were, we learned this during the pandemic a lot is one that people need people. And then two these companies and businesses and some of the government doesn't care about us. Like, you know, we thought at one time. So it's like, you need to show the importance to yourself, what needs to be done. Yeah. How do you, when you, so for you and your, uh, I know, I know you, we talked at the beginning of this about you kind of starting the podcast 2019 and all that. So what's your sort of, you know, cause I'm sure there's times, you know, it's, it's Saturday right now. All right. There's times where you're like, I don't feel, I don't feel like doing that. It's like, what is your motivation with, with this podcast and effort that drives you to do the little tasks that you don't feel like doing in the moment? What's that big wire, that North star or that, that you're trying to accomplish here? Or, or is it something you get from the podcast? I like hearing people's stories. So I get a bit, a lot of benefit from that. Like we've had a lot of people on here who've lost an insane amount of weight and just done everything, other little things. And to me, it's like, if somebody can do that, it's like, I can upload a podcast every day or, you know, every week or something, you know, something small. And then uh, some, it might be petty, but sometimes like, uh, proving people wrong. Cause when I first started doing it, people would send me stuff and they'd be like, uh, it would be like, oh, what do guys do that don't talk about their feelings? They start a podcast or some. It's just kind of like a, a joke, but it's kind of a, like a jab. And I'm like, well, fuck you, you know, first of all. So I'm going to prove you wrong. But um, but like the core of it, though, is just hearing the stories and and learning. I mean, you, you learn so much from just listening to people talk. I always say you never know how much you don't know until you hear somebody talks about that knows a lot. Talk about something. And it's like, yeah. you just, like they say, like you have two ears, one mouth and you got to absorb more than you, you know, expel sometimes. Man, you know what I just, and I, and maybe I had this thought before, something just popped up to me as you were talking there that I think is really powerful to go back to sort of what we were designed to do, mm-hmm. you know, cause again, that's sort of my, I think it's like, we have to battle the fact that we are not designed to live in the in the modern world like our bodies our, our genet our genetic evolution uh has not it has not transformed at nearly the rate that technology has right mm-hmm. so like the world we live in is not the world we're designed to live in which again we kind of talked about before and maybe that's why you know podcasting has taken off so much especially you know good ones or deep conversations where people sit there and listen to it or people enjoy this conversation because you know think about the amount of long form conversation about ideas and thoughts and things like that, that we had until really the last hundred years, mm-hmm. right. Before radio TV and all that stuff, like we, this is like, this is how we were designed to communicate. This is how we were designed to learn, you know? Um, and, and I, I don't know what, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to create content around this. So I appreciate it. I'm going to create some content around what you just said, because <laughs> I think that's important and use the example of podcasting because it does feel good to have this conversation and to learn and to, to grow and have these conversations. It's like this, it's so like humanly natural. And I think that's why people are drawn to it. Right. And, and why people feel value from hearing conversations and listening. Cause like, that's how we learn. That's how we were designed. Like all our history, you know, Hey, 
eat this plant. Don't eat that plant. Mm -hmm. You know, this is how you catch a fucking squirrel. This is how you chase like all those things. Like we're passed down in these stories and, and the conversations, you know, you'd get around and you would just talk. Yeah. And we should do that. that. That's how we're designed as human beings. And that's why I think it's so, it's so natural. And, you know, so to go to like a, a jujitsu, a martial arts example of this that I talk about is um, jujitsu is obviously uh, super popular as a martial art. I think any martial art can be like this. I think any, if you find the right tribe, really a tribe of people that are like-minded that have like a common language, a common goal, and then are pushing each other past physical and mental boundaries. Mm-hmm. So like, if that's sort of the box, I think that's very important and natural for human beings to be optimal. And one way to do that, to sound not too biased, is jujitsu. That's where people get addicted to Brazilian jitsu, right? Um, because you and you are surrounded by a tribe of people who are like-minded, who all decided to be there, who are all committed to learning this thing, being around each other, to pushing each other, to supporting each other, and overcoming physical and mental adversity mm-hmm. together right and they see value in that yeah and then they speak the same language right there's a certain set of language i could sit here and talk about a bunch of jujitsu moves and stuff and you'd be like ah, it means nothing to me but if i was talking to if i was on a rogan right we'd be like going back and forth right in that jargon right or if someone is in a certain industry right so you have a certain language even just like a tribe has a certain language and then another component of that is i think that as human beings we're designed in that tribe format to naturally feel fulfilled to have teammates, but also to have elders, right? To have people that are more experienced to teach us, to give us knowledge, um, to learn from, to look up to. And I think it's a very natural state for people. But then then as we grow in capacity inside of that tribe, we also pass down our knowledge, our experiences, our thoughts to people below us. And that I think we get fulfillment from that too. I think it's a very natural flow of how we're designed to live right and jujitsu does that right like there's upper belts there's the brand new dude who knows nothing or a girl who knows nothing who's just like this is all crazy and we're like and we're just like come here little padawan right put you under here we're gonna take care of you <laughs> yeah. you know, we know we're gonna be light we're gonna take care no one's gonna hurt you you're you're safe and then four years later that person's a fucking savage mm-hmm. you know and um and then they're passing on that knowledge to the next person and so that's that it's that elder and student, you know, learning something new and being the new student, looking up, then being a good teammate. And then at some point being an elder to pass knowledge down that jujitsu provides. But I think that that's sort of similar in the, the positive, you know, emotions, feeling senses you, you know, we get, so, you know, you, as we talk about this podcast, but we get, well, we do that, right? We, you know, I listen to a podcast or to a conference or I talk to someone that you said is like, has knowledge about something, has a good story that I, I know expands my mind. It's like, that's like listening to your elder. Yeah. But then, then they say something and I have maybe some expertise or you have expertise in an area or a new thing that you get to tell me. And now I, now, now you're the elder and I get mm. to be the student. And so that like exchange of information and knowledge, I think that that's something that everyone's sort of attracted to in one way, shape or another. I think it's a very natural human thing. Um, that, you know, podcasting has really, you know, latched onto and allowed for such a more diverse range of thoughts and opinions and knowledge to be exposed to a, a different audience. So how did you get into jujitsu? So I wrestled growing up, um, you know, <clears throat> when I was younger, 
you know, it's, it's sort of an, an example. So I grew up with a single mom. So my mom got married to my stepdad. When I was in junior high and um, like no, no help from my biological father or anything like that. Um, and so, and, and we weren't, you know, I wasn't in the street, but you know, I didn't live in a house till I was, till she got married, you know, I was in apartments oh, wow. in a college town and, um, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, and, you know, my mom, I can't say enough about my stepdad is, is fantastic, too. He really kind of taught me, to, I think, some things about, you know, he taught me a lot of things about being a man when I was in my teenage years. But, um, you know, my mom had dropped out of college when she had me. So then she and I was younger, tried to tried to just make ends meet and that sort of thing. But eventually, you know, worked full time, put herself through undergrad and grad school and raised me by herself. So pretty strong woman. Good example. Right. Yeah. But we didn't have a lot of money. And I remember the wrestling, you know, team coming around and like when I was in elementary school and they brought the flyer, it was 50 bucks a month. They brought a wrestling club, like, mom, I want to do this. I want to do this. She's like, don't have 50 bucks, man. Like, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. You know, um, I, she's like, you can play basketball cause it's free at the rec center. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so I was playing basketball and, um, I was pretty good. You know, like I, I told you, like, you know, I was, when I was young, not to like live back, live junior high glory days, right. But like <laughs> for a kid, yeah, you know, like, I don't want to say that. Like, I mean, I didn't peak then. I'm not. I'm like the Napoleon Dynamite guy, like if I could throw the football over the mountains, you know, the coach would have put me in. But, um, but you know, it's it's a memory that sticks with you, uh, and and I use that for motivation now. And to play basketball, and then uh, seventh grade year, you could do wrestling and basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was after that you could you had to do one or the other because the same season. And I thought, well, cool. So by school now, it's free. I'll do wrestling to get in shape for basketball because that year I was like, actually, I was voted like most likely to be in the NBA. Now. No one was going to the NBA for my small town in Kansas. Obviously, like um, I'm five, I'm five eleven on a good day. Um, I'm not going to the NBA, but you know, in our small town in Kansas, like you know, was, yeah, I could I could drill between my legs, so I was you know <laughs> the next you know Michael Jordan, right? Um, and then I wrestled, and I was like, oh, this is the shit. Like this mm. is my jam. Last year I played basketball, and from then on, about two years later, I started wrestling three seasons a year. Um, you know, uh, was, you know, all state state run on my senior year, um, was on the Kansas national freestyle team in the summer, all that stuff. So when I got into West point, I actually got in, but then I contacted the wrestling coach and like, Hey, I, I got into early action. Like I really would like to try out to be on the the team. And he saw, he sent him some tape and put me on as a recruited athlete. So I came into West point to wrestle. So I wrestled for two years and then uh, my grades, I couldn't keep my grades up and, uh, grades had to come first. So I stopped, but I need, but, and then I, you know, did two years. Then I went in the army. And I, I went through a bunch of training, ranger school, everyone's school, all that stuff. Uh, got my first platoon, went to Iraq for 14 months in Southwest Baghdad, all this stuff. So years later, all this stuff goes through and I come back and I'm just like, dude, I haven't competed. Like, you know, it pushed myself in that competition the way you do in like a wrestling setting, that one-on-one setting. And I, it was like a, a hole in my soul. Like yeah. it was like, I need to compete to be my best self. And, uh, and that was about the time too. That was like, mid 2000s when like ufc was taken off right mm-hmm. that was like the chuck liddell tito ortiz like it was just new crazy thing i was like this is nuts and also you know all the college wrestlers at the time were the ones killing it you know yeah so nat hughes all those guys and so i was like i, I need to do this like i need to i need to fight and um so i got to uh i went to fort knox kentucky actually right not too far from here um and for seven months for a school and because it was like an army school for the most part, I wasn't like, you know, going to the field for a month at a time and training and traveling. I wasn't deploying. So I like, I had seven months of like relative stability in my schedule. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, now's my time. So I would do army PT in the morning, go to classes at Fort Knox and then drive, uh, up to Louisville, Kentucky and start training jujitsu. And, uh, I boxed a little bit in, in college too. So and then I started training, uh, Muay Thai, 
and um, jujitsu with the goal of having an MMA fight mm. and uh, fell in love with, fell in love with all of it. So I started training jujitsu was originally to do an MMA and I loved it. I uh, trained for seven months. Then I went to Fort Bragg, North Carolina uh, for our, this is after a special forces selection. So then there's, there's a selection process that two to three weeks ish for special forces. But then as an officer, you have to go to this army school for six months called the captain's career course. And then you go to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and you have the qualification course. So you still don't have a green beret. It's like selection doesn't mean it's like going to buds as a seal. You go through buds as a seal. It doesn't mean you get your trident. You still have to actually train up and more people fail out of that than selection. Okay. Um, so that it's, it's about, it's almost a year and a half long of all these different types of training. But the first training we went to is language school. So I had six months of Arabic. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it was my language. So I was learning Arabic for eight hours a day. So I'd get up, do army PT, um, at like six, do army PT. Then I'd go to eight hours of language school. And then I would, uh, drive over and, you know, train for two, three hours of the gym, uh, doing jujitsu, um, you know, MMA kickboxing. Then I go home, you know, eat my chicken breast and peas and study Arabic for two hours and go to bed. Like I was, it was like a Spartan lifestyle. I was engaged at the time, uh, to not my wife, but a different, different time. Our army's a wild time to try to have relationships. Um, but uh, she didn't live there either. So it was like, my fiance is not around. I want to fight. So I'm just going to live like a freaking Spartan and just get up at six, go to bed at 10 and just eat right and train. Did that, fought twice, uh, even though I wasn't supposed to. But my cadre member uh, was a, a, a MMA and jujitsu guy. Mm-hmm. Like the guy was in charge of me, the, the NCO. So he would like cover for me, you know? So like I had a fight, <laughs> I'd come back. Uh, and I had like a black eye in training, you know? He'd be like, what happened? And this is how it's kind of messed up, right? Like if they had found out that I had gone and traveled to Greensboro and locked myself in a cage while I was in army training as a green beret. And they were investing in me and I got hurt. Yeah. I would have potentially gotten kicked out. Wow. Like it was not allowed. They don't want you to go out. You, you can't go like do some extreme stuff. It's, it, Cause it's like a, it's like an NFL athlete, right? Like, believe it or not, the army actually pays more to create one green beret than it does a, a, a fighter pilot, but right? it costs oh. more money to train them. So they put a lot of money and time into you and they don't want you to get hurt. Right. Yeah. So Anyway, but he would cover for me. But here's how here's how it's kind of fucked up. They'd be like, "Well, how'd you get a black guy?" And he'd be like, "Oh, he got a he got a fight at the bar." And they're like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> you know, it's just like <laughs> like that was uh, like that's acceptable. That's acceptable. A sanctioned fight against a trained person with a referee and a medic standby. No, oh, what are you crazy? You know, like that's the messed up the messed up way they think. So um, I got that fight a couple times, um, and then it, but but I finished. Then I, I couldn't because of training. Then I um. But I, I got that competition bug and I yeah. loved it. I did some, I did a jiu-jitsu tournament too. It is a chum jiu-jitsu, mainly MMA. Uh, but then when I, I came back to Fort Campbell, Kentucky here and gotten my first team and fifth special forces group, the operations tempo of like the life of being on a team like that mm-hmm. is crazy. So I couldn't, I couldn't train for, a, I didn't train for almost three years really um, here and there sporadically, but nothing consistently until sort of my team time was done. Um, you know, you, this is just one example, but I show up brand new green beret, brand, you know, captain. And I go to take over my, take over my team, right. I'm the commander and, uh, I'm the only officer, right. Besides you know, there's a warrant officer, but that's a kind of a different hybrid thing. Everyone else is sergeants. And I show up, Hey, I'm the new captain. I'm, I'm here to take charge. Youngest guy on the team. Hmm. I was 28 and I was the youngest guy on the team. So least experienced, you know, I had 14 months in combat as an infantryman and a, and a scout and sniper platoon leader, but not the same as some of these guys. Right. So 
all right, here's the new guy. Let's, and then three days later, I have to go the first day I show up like, Hey, did you, you need, you got, uh, we need you to get a towel. We're going to this pool. I'm going to do dunk training where they train you to, uh, be in a water crash of a helicopter. So they have a whole building built out with a hole and you're inside of a black hawk, you're strapped in and they create like the craziest wave pool you've ever seen in your life. Showers, storms, audio system, making it sound. Wow. And then they would do a dunk and they would have, and they would have it hit the ground and roll and go underwater. Like you're in there and you had to stay. And then once you went underwater, you had to unbuckle yourself and be able to swim out and get over to like a rescue ladder. Right. So like, so if you're going to, if you're going to fly in a helicopter and training over water, you have to go through this. So that's my first day, first day on this job, right? I'm like, I'm like, these dudes are trying to drown me with storm water on my first day. And they're like, oh, by the way, we're going out to San Diego in two days. I'm like, pack your stuff. I'm like, all right, what are we doing? So it was us. And we were going out to do a training exchange with SEAL Team 5 and Special Boat Team 12. And so it was three weeks of training. Or supposed to be six weeks of training, I think. But we went out and, uh, and we were basically, we were training them on – how to do some like human intelligence and reconnaissance stuff for their missions. Mm -hmm. And uh, in exchange, they were showing us and training us on uh, some direct action stuff in water that we get some training on, but not a lot. And there was some, we have certain specialty teams that are called dive teams that are underwater infiltration teams that do scuba and water teams. And actually my second team was one of those, which is a different experience too. But so, so now I'm four days into the job and I'm on a rib boat, on the, in the Pacific ocean with driven being driven by special boat team 12 with simunition. So it's like a nine mil bullet, but instead of a bullet, it's a paintball. So think of it like extreme paintball kind of is what we use for training. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm climbing up a, a, a four inch caving ladder on the side of a ship underway in the water doing op for taking down, learning how to take down ships. So I'm like, Oh, the first week on the job, this is awesome. Right. So, and then, uh, we were supposed to be there for a longer period of time. This is when this is 2011. Afghanistan was not going well at the time, mm -hmm. and uh, they were worried we were, we were it was going to fall. So Donald Rumsfeld, the Secretary of Defense at the time, signed an order to push a bunch more uh, Green Beret teams into sort of like the worst areas of Afghanistan. So our team got called up for that. So we had to pack up halfway through the training in San Diego fly back to Fort Campbell. And six weeks later, I was on the Afghan Pakistan border. So like Jesus. that was my first two months. So trying to get your jujitsu in is a little rough. So it's a different, it's a different world. Um, and so it took me about three years and then I got on it, realized that's what I loved. And, you know, I still do it today and, and, you know, four days a week and, and love it. You say you have schools too. Yeah. So um, I'm a co-owner with two other owners called uh, of a, of a gym called Legion Jitsu, like the Roman Legion. Mm-hmm. Uh, fifth special, fifth special forces group, the special forces group I was in at Fort Campbell, the, the nickname of the unit is the Legion. So I, uh, I use that and now we have three locations in the Nashville area. So one in sort of East Nashville and then people who are familiar maybe with Nashville, if they're from Memphis, maybe they are, we have one in Hendersonville, which is a suburb North in Hendersonville and one in Murfreesboro, which is about 45 minutes to Southeast. So we've got three locations, um, we're at well over 700 active students right now, probably the biggest team Oh wow! Um, in sort of this region. Uh, and, you know, when I got out of the military, I knew that this leadership coaching and development stuff is, was my calling. Like, this is what I wanted to do, but I didn't want to be the military officer who gets out and says, all right, business leaders, let me tell you about real leadership. Right. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, I've never been in business in my fucking life. Yeah. <laughs> like I, 
again, I didn't know the extent of the difference between kind of the real world and the world I was in, but I figured it was different, you know, leading a, 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 a you know, 19 year old sales kid and a you know 32 year old green beret, like probably different. Right. I mean, who knows? Uh, probably a little different. So I thought, well, what do I need to do to be able to learn the lessons I need to learn to validate my theories and opinions on leadership and humans and minds, all these things. I need to validate them. I need to see what works, what doesn't learn and, and also prove yourself, right? Like if, what, what do, what do I need to do to be able to prove myself to have standing with senior business leaders and how do I do it as fast as possible? Mm-hmm. Um, and I figured like, so I came up a military guy, right? Came up with a two pronged uh, approach attack, uh, which was one, get a formal education in business. So I got my MBA uh, from UNC Chapel Hill. And then the second one was, well, if I can start my own company from scratch and get it self-sustainably profitable, I, that, I don't know any other faster way to learn as many lessons as possible in business. So I'm just going to do that. Yeah. Um, and I thought, well, when I do that, then I will, I'll be able to reevaluate. I think I'll be able to then move confidently forward with this leadership training coaching concept. And um, so I started off, I, I did my online MBA the same time I was transitioning out. Like I said, going through a divorce, you know, the military, being a full-time MBA student and starting my first company and only company I've ever been in. Uh, I, I never been in, I never worked, you know, since I've worked at Dairy Queen in high school, I never worked in the real world, but I thought I could run a business. So I bought a, uh, I said a martial arts uh, fitness hybrid franchise and uh, I learned a ton. It was really hard. Um things contractually changed in the middle of it. So I had to go get a giant loan from the SBA and all this stuff. And I, at the end of that three years, I had learned, I didn't, this is not the way I wanted to learn these lessons, mm-hmm. but I had learned a lot of hard lessons um, and I had to close it. And I also realized that I really didn't, I liked fitness and health, but I didn't really want to be in the fitness industry but I, I def that the martial arts side of it, the dude, cause we had like fitness and cardio kickboxing classes and that sort of thing. And a regular gym, but we also had jujitsu yeah. um, and Muay Thai at, at that franchise. So I said, I don't, I don't really want to, I can't do this anymore. I'm just, this company's losing money, but I, my calling really now, I, I think my business needs to be in, in the martial arts and jujitsu space. So got two, two partners, closed the other business. Uh, we opened up um, Legion that had been 2000 probably 18 um, with two locations and well, we opened two locations that year and a third the next year and uh, got that going for years. And I lost all my money. So in order to get, I didn't, I wasn't an owner at first. I just was like, Hey, I know I can do this. I had these connections. Um, and so I had to basically earn in, like I had to work and sweat equity my way to build it. So I was the primary driver for growing it. And then when we reached certain milestones, I got ownership from my work and I got ownership back in the business. And, um, you know, a few years ago, we, we got to the point 2019, uh, was 2019? No, no, no. 2000. See, when did COVID happen? The first, that was, that was March 20, 20 right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it would have been, yeah. So it would have been very end, like basically beginning of 2020. I, decided that I started making the transition and it took me about two years fully to sort of shift focus from, I am in the gym, you know, running this company, you know, 50, 60 hours a week to creating positions, hiring, building up that. So it becomes more self-sustaining 
as I grew the concepts for stronger, there's stronger profits. But now, you know, we've got a, a CEO, uh, we've got a, a general manager and head instructor at every location. And uh, I've pulled myself out from, you know, most of the operations. I still teach um, and I do sort of like strate- like strategy and um we're working on, we have an online Academy, mm-hmm. which is, we've got some new things coming out. So other ways to scale the business besides brick and mortar. Um, so I sort of do that, but uh, now I've shifted to, you know, I, I, what it's, it's so cool to me. And I don't think about it that much, I guess, till things like this happen, but it's 2023. So it would have been maybe just short of 10 years. Cause sometimes during 2013, when I decided that this is what I wanted to create. And I set about a plan to do it and it took longer than I thought and yeah. it's way harder than I thought, which is most things in life, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But it's really, really cool that nine or 10 years later to be, you know, we're still a startup. We're still just starting to on the cusp of growing what, what this company is going to be and with the impact we can have. But I'm sitting here with a framework, with proven theories, with testing things in the real world and studying scientifically. And I have, I, I need to develop so much more as a leader and as a person as a business, but it's really cool to be like, I did the work. I had a vision and a big one. And, uh, you know, here we are like living it, you know? Yeah. It's so wild when you have an idea in your head and then it comes to fruition. And obviously like I said, it takes mm-hmm. steps to do it. It just doesn't uh, manifest without, you know, some type of work involved. Like how trippy is it as a person that has people underneath them? Because I saw, I think it was yesterday, I saw y'all post that you just hired somebody new or somebody mm-hmm. new came on your team. Yeah. Um. So so how does it feel to have someone kind of work work underneath? Yeah, like, you know, you have all these people and their family and all this stuff. Like, like that's got to be a wild experience, man. Like, it's one thing to take care of yourself and like your immediate family, but then you have other people underneath you. Like, what experience is that like? Yeah, it is. Uh, I say I, w- I want to use the word burden, but mm-hmm. I don't mean burden in the sense of like a negative, like oh, is there a burden like that? But there's responsibility. There's pre- additional pressure, you know, when you have other people relying on you. Um, you know, and I, I'm not a parent, but I imagine you know that sort of. I'm not saying having an employee is like having a child. So please don't, whoever's <laughs> going to put this in comments. I don't want a bunch of moms yelling around. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, but <laughs> yeah. that I'm not saying it all definitely different. But you know, when I talk to friends that, you know, have had kids and they talk about like, you know, when the, when they, the, they first have their baby and they're like, Oh shit. Like it's not just about me anymore, mm-hmm. you know? And, and in a sense, that's what leadership is. I will say that leadership has always been sort of a natural tendency of something I've been attracted to mm-hmm. and kind of always held that position. I, I, I was, I almost can't remember. I mean, it had to have maybe been like pre high school. And even then, like where in some groups, like whether it's, you know, on a, on a literally team or on my wrestling team or something where like, I didn't sort of end up in a leadership role. Mm, okay. um, I think it's just sort of kind of natural to me to sort of be, drawn to that um and so and then of course you know my like i was a a, geez wrestling i'm as a you know the wrestling i was one of the wrestling team captains as a as a sophomore so i was you know 15 but 
the team captain with 18 year olds. Right. So mm. I, I've had, I've had to sort of go through that. I, we created this, I was a, a boy scout and Eagle scout. So I created, we created this club called the outdoor leadership experience club, me and my buddy. And we helped lead and plan, you know, we went to Breckenridge and climbed mountains and we did rock climbing trips. Like, so I've always sort of been drawn to that aspect of it. And I think it's just because it's, it's so rewarding for me to, to see a group of people and then individuals in that group grow mm-hmm. that to me, that's what leadership is. Um, now I, it is different, you know, use those old sort of junior high school. And then of course, I mean, then you've got West Point, right? Like I, I kind of went to like the, the most intense leadership training laboratory that you can imagine for four years straight. Right. So, yeah. um, I've gotten more leadership training in the last 20 years than, you know, most people, I mean, probably 10 times as much as most people get in their whole lives. Right. Which I'm very fortunate for, but I also made specific decisions to, to continue in that direction. Right. Um, but it is different as an, as an, I would say as a business owner, when, you know, you get past sort of the sort of existential leadership empowerment, like, um, minds, all that stuff to like, I, if this isn't successful, these people can't feed their family. Yeah. Right. Like that, the nuts and bolts of that burden. And I will say having, having gone, that was the hardest part about having a business that fails, that failed was, I mean, one, a little bit of ego, right? Mm -hmm. Like people looked at me, I mean, I wasn't used to failing. Yeah. I'm not a person who fails. Um, and to admit that, that it hadn't worked and, and very publicly, right. We were very engaged in the community and all these groups and clubs. Um, and then, so from a sort of an egotistical point that it was definitely a hit there to my like identity, um, and, and my ego. But then the biggest thing was I had taken friends and family's money, mm. <laughs> um, and they weren't going to get it back. I had employees that, you know, were maybe struggling and living month to month that I didn't know how they were going to be able to go during a job transition or what they were going to do. Or, you know, they, they also, we had a great team. So like, they loved the environment. They loved working there. And now they were so sad. They were like unknown of where am I going to go? Am I going to be miserable? What's going to, you know, so the, there is, when you, when you, when you create a, a, a business, any community, but especially a business where like the economics and the sort of the realism of it and the immediacy of it are so important. It is, it is a burden, but I would just say like anything, you know, in business, like now, if you tell me that, like compared to how I was when I first started, you know, eight years ago, I'm so much more confident because I know, like, I know when to hire. Mm-hmm. I know how I, I, I can look at it and know from like a model perspective, like my competence as a business person has grown over eight years of experience and education to the point now where I am more confident. I don't get as much angst. Let's say if I go to make a hire mm-hmm. because I know I've done the process and I'm confident in the outcome that we'll be able to take care of them, that I've built in uh, some risk management that I've built in a reserve that I've built it in to where, you know, nothing's foolproof, but you know, these people I'm growing on my team right now, which I'm really fortunate. I've got to put together an awesome small team, but they're not all full-time right now. Yeah. Right. Like some are contractors, some are W2, but we have a plan to incrementally do that. And I've created decision points that, Hey, when we hit these metrics, when we hit this revenue, we have this in the account. That's my trigger to, you know, 
you know, take them from, you know, part, you know, from a contractor to a part-time W2. And then when we hit this metric and I have this here and I have these contracts, then I know I'm going to take them up to full-time. Right. And I know which ones I need, which levers I need to move. So I think it's, you know, when you're new to it, like anything new, it's going to feel uh, because of the unknown and lack of experience, it's going to feel so much heavier and stressful and it should, because you're doing something new. Um, You know, that's, that's what imposter syndrome is. Mm. I, I think that imposter syndrome, if can be unhealthy sometimes, but also I think, I think people need to shift their mindset to like imposter syndrome is a great sign because what it means is you're unsure of your ability to accomplish it because you've never done it before. So imposter syndrome is just a sign you're growing. It's like something to be proud of, not something to avoid. So many people are like, well, I have imposter syndrome because I'm just not confident that I can do this. Like, of course you haven't. You've never done it before. <laughs> like the first time you do anything, you're, yeah. you should feel uneasy. You should feel nervous. You should, you know, double check everything. You should, you know, have this feeling of an imposter. I'm not this person because you're not that person now because you're becoming a better person. Yeah. You're improving. And so, but you have to push through that. And I always tell one thing that, you know, it's interesting that I am actually really focused on right now. I go through these little like thoughts and mindsets that I try to develop until I get them into a framework. And then I create content and teachings around them. And one thing I'm really focused on right now is not tying yourself to outcomes. Mm. And so many people do that, that they, you know, they hire, they bring in like, oh, well, if the business, you know, if we don't hit this number or if I can't pay them this amount, then it's a failure. And it's like that internal and external locus control comes into play here because like you may do everything right and this still fails. And you have to learn to accept that. Yeah. And then not just accept it, but then divorce yourself from the outcome, right? Not that you don't care that you want, you want to be successful. It's a driving force and you want to hit it, but you have to detach yourself from becoming overly tied to outcome because you can't control outcome. So I was actually, I was using this when I was talking with, um, you know, one of my, we had a, a jujitsu like super Vite pro event actually last night. And we had, we had the most competitors on it. We had like over 10 competitors out of like, out of like uh, maybe 40 on this card. Right. And I, and I got to coach and corner some of my, my jujitsu fighters. And I had a couple of good guys that are like really good, put in the work that sacrifice and they were, you know, especially in one case, you know, winning his match mm-hmm. by, by far, he got caught and he lost, you know? And it's like, so is that, is that a failure now? Like, I mean, he made one mistake, you know, he, he didn't respect a certain position mm-hmm. and he hesitated and he got caught. Um, and, and so when it comes to performance in, in that sense, I don't think it's any different than life in a relationship in, in a business is the real focus should be on your process. Like, did I, was my decision-making process correct? How can I improve that process? How can I improve my, uh, my evaluation process? How can I can, how can I improve my business process? How can I improve, you know, like if you're focused on, how can I improve my preparation? Like, did I get, did I gas out? Why is that? Was I not in shape? Was I not breathing? Was I, was that, did I not control my uh my anxiety and my stress and so i stressed out and got adrenaline dump like why did i gas out not why you know i lost 
So therefore it's a failure. No, it's like, what, how can I improve that process? And if you focus on that, sometimes you'll say, look back, look at my decision-making process. Yeah. I did it right. Like I, I went through the right decision-making process, but then, you know, the, the landlord, you know, got caught cheating on his wife and now she's suing him and the lease is fucked. You know, like, is that a failure? Like I, I, you can't tie yourself to those external outcomes. And, and so you, you, what you really need to focus on is detaching yourself from that and focusing on your process, right? Like coming back to like not trying to change other people Yeah, was my process in that decision was my business process there and know that, right. Sometimes the, sometimes what looks like a failure or feels like a failure or feels like a challenge or feels like a setback in the moment is the best thing that could have happened to you because our growth, almost all of our major growth happens through suffering, right? Through challenges, through adversity. That's how we get stronger, right? Like if you go in and you don't go back to the gym example, you go back and you don't rip literally when you, you know, lift and push your muscles, you're ripping muscle tissue. Mm -hmm. Like if you never do that, you're never going to get strong Yeah, as strong as you could be, you know? You're never going to have the same muscle growth, at least if we're being uh, some personal trainers are going to be mad at me about like hypertrophy <laughs> and get all science me on like muscle growth and strength. Right. But the if you don't break, if you when you break down muscle fiber, it grows back bigger and stronger. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happens to us. Another concept I talk about in, in, in the perseverance section is a concept that I think we all understand. But a lot of people, even my business coach, who uh is phenomenal. He's been doing it forever in mindset, but he hadn't heard this term before. But stress inoculation. So, have you ever heard, have you heard that term? Or familiar with it? No, no. Okay, yeah, most people. So, it's literally the only way that we change our fears and improve performance. Which is kind of crazy that most people, even people engaged in these types of conversations, like haven't right. So, I try to bring that in. But it was taught to us, and I didn't know about it until I got to you know special special operations, and they teach us you know about how to build resilience and how to overcome fear and how to improve performance. And it's funny that I see this in a lot of self help books described in a bunch of different ways, and like like it's some new thing. Mm-hmm. It's all the stress inoculation, which just means that the more that you are exposed or have experience in something, the lower your stress response is going to be to that thing. And so the higher level of performance you can have, right? So, um, and then there's this thing called a a Yerkes-Dotson curve. That's an old stress curve from like, it's like over a hundred years old. We know this. And it's basically just a bell curve, right? Mm -hmm. It's a bell curve. And the bottom x-axis, if you will, the horizontal um, axis is stress, right? Or arousal, as they call it, the same thing, okay? So, and then the y-axis is performance. So, if you imagine the beginning of the bell curve, you have low, very low stress, very low arousal, and Mm -hmm. your performance is very low, right? So, it's like the uh, the, the summertime sadness, teenage kid in suburbia with no problems, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like nothing going on, nothing to do, no real challenges, things taking care of me. And they're miserable one. They usually get in trouble. And, but are they optimized performance wise? 
No, mm-hmm. right? Because there's there's not enough stress. Yeah. Right. We kind of hear and hear that. So then as you move along the x-axis, uh, uh um, axis, and then you you see the bell curve go up. So as the stress goes up, the performance goes up until it reaches a peak at the top of the bell curve. Mm-hmm. And then if you start having too much stress, your performance starts to decrease exponentially, mm-hmm. right? To the point where you have intense stress where you just are frozen, flight, flight takes over. You can't think at all, right? Yeah. So everyone has that curve overall, but everyone has that curve around every single action they do, right? Like someone who, uh, I use, I don't know why it's coming to my head, but like a shooting competition, right? Like we do things called stress shoots where someone asks like, do push-ups or do a run? And they have to come up and they have to like fire at these targets or like people are yelling at them, you know, and there's all this intensity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, athletics, right? The, the crowd, the pressure of the yeah. last free throw that like, so, and if, that if if your experience level is low so your your experience or your yerks dotson curve for that experience is set kind of far to if you think of it like the left right where someone who has never had to let's say speak in public in front of a bunch of people and they get up in front of a thousand people they're fucked like like they are so nervous their fight or flight is off the charts. <laughs> they are way on the end of their Yerkes Dotson curve, right? Literally, people like there's some studies out there that show that public speaking is the number one fear. It's like public speaking death. It's like crazy <laughs> how scared people are of speaking in public. Yeah. And right. And so if you uh as you do that, um, so how do you get better at that? You have to do it, right? You 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 practice speaking to a camera. So you're looking at yourself. Then you do it in front of loved ones. Then you uh then you you volunteer to speak for free at some local school around mm-hmm. kids. And then you then you do it at the chamber or at some networking group at your church or your school, or whatever, around your friends, and then boom, 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 and you just do it over and over again. And then eventually someone who's spoken in front of thousands of people a hundred times. You can check their like physiologically check their brain waves and check their their bodies, and they are not panicking. Mm. They are calm, but they're calm because they they've been inoculated to that stressor, right? And this is an important part of any because people get scared or they have these things happen, and they they say, "Well, I'm just scared of heights." Well, you're scared of heights now. This isn't a an eternal damnation to ladders. <laughs> Like it's not, it's really not. Yeah. I promise you like, you know, or it's because the same way if someone's scared of spiders, right? Like mm-hmm. an arachnophobia, what, how do they, anyone has a phobia, what do they do? First, they show you a picture of a spider, mm-hmm. right? And they just have it stay there for a while. And then eventually, blah, 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 and then they fast forward to being closer, closer, then it's around. And eventually you see someone who was completely wrecked by the thought of being on a spider with a spider walking down their arm six months later. Yeah. Like our, our brain, we have neuroplasticity. Like that's, to kind of maybe bring this full circle, like people get mad at me when I say this, but like mindset is literally everything. Like, mm. and, and people, and, and I feel like, I feel like it's that almost what you said before about like people emulating the success versus the process Yeah, is I feel like people who are successful or these, you know, gurus or the seller or these leaders, you hear them say that. And then everyone's like, well, that's cause you're rich and famous. Like, <laughs> no, I'm rich and famous because of my fucking mindset. Yeah. You know, like, it, you have to have that first because your your brain, your neuroplasticity in your brain is like it can change and do anything. Mm. You know, like I've I've seen it, and that's why I hold such a high standard. Because like I've worked with kids, I say kids, they're you know 
say, 27-year-old, 26-year-old brand new Green Berets, let's say, who maybe, you know, didn't go to college or something like that, maybe grew up a little rough, maybe were, you know, slightly above the average intelligence, but just really determined. And I've seen them learn to speak Farsi, uh, be able to do, you know, customs work to to pack out millions of dollars worth of equipment across U.S. customs to a foreign. I've seen them plan complex missions to work with two of them going off with 50 Afghans and go on a raid surrounded by a bunch of people they don't know in a foreign country and come back and be like, yeah, done. Right. Like I know a 27 year old can do that. Like I know it and can be a good friend and be a good teammate and be a good human and be disciplined and still also be fun. And be like, I know that's possible. And that's an average person who decided to put in the fucking work. And so that's why I may be a little harsh sometimes to some people, uh, to some people may call me that maybe I'm not, I'm working on maybe a little more empathy and patience with folks, Mm -hmm. but I also get so frustrated going back to that potential piece because I just wish people knew that you could use tools like a stress inoculation and you could do anything. Like it's just setting a plan and process, setting your mindset, right. And then creating new neural pathways through experience and activities. And who knows what our capacity of human beings is or what your capacity is, but you got to intentionally do that work. And then it's really limitless, you know? Yeah. It's like that whole thing. Like uh, you can have the crabs in a bucket or monkeys in a barrel, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if you don't believe in yourself enough to do it in the first place, because you're going to let people's outside forces infiltrate your mind and be like, Oh, I'm not good enough to do this. Oh, I can't do that. Like, no, like you said, you can change your mindset to do pretty much anything. I mean, everything that's in your room and my room was created by somebody's mind, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just like, you know, you just have to, believe in yourself enough to accomplish some shit and it's doable. It just, like you said, you have to put in the work to do it. You have to. And that's, you know, when I, I wrote the book, a warrior's mindset, the six keys to greatness. Like I said, I set out because I was working with these executives and I realized that their mindset wasn't in a place, their position, authority and responsibilities, their, uh, their stressors, like their workload, like all the things they had going in their life mm-hmm. had surpassed their own mindset. Like there's a, there was too big of a gap and that's what was stifling them. And more importantly, honestly, that's what was stifling. That is what's stifling their organization. Yeah. Right. Like every leader is the, you are the limiting variable of your organization. Like your organization will never outperform your own mindset. Yeah. Never. So I started realizing that. Uh, and I thought, well, I have some ideas about how to do this, but, and that's how I kind of feel about how a lot of, when it comes to this self-development, self-help space, I mean, it's all good, right? It's really good to focus and have these different areas. And I pulled from, you know, my own, not just in the book, my own mind of, you know, a ton of sources. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good that people do the work. But I feel like a lot of people that are in this sort of self-development, self-help space, when you do focus on something that's sort of like narrow or one thing, mm-hmm. and it's not in context of a larger process, that it becomes a bit like whack-a-mole, right? And it comes a bit like um, treating symptoms instead of causes. So, you know, oh, I have anxiety. Okay. Well, here's how you can handle anxiety. You're going to 
you know, do breath exercises and you're going to, um, you know, slow down, take it easy, you know, maybe take your medication, maybe low, you know, all these things, instead of being like, why the hell do you have anxiety, bro? Like you're in America. Like, I mean, I get it. There's some, there's, there are some enclaves of like areas that are, and people that live, especially kids in some horrendous environments where they should absolutely feel like that. Mm-hmm. And it's warranted because they're, they're not, they don't, they don't have safety. They're surrounded by crime or poverty or whatever, right? Abusive. That's that being said, the vast majority of us adults, <laughs> right. And that um, if you're in the United States, like you said, to your point of like, you, there's no, we have, we don't have, we have a food X, you know, surplus, not a food, you know, blight, right? Like, no, you know, you, you and I right now are, you know, if I'm cold, I'm going to go hit a button and it gets warmer. Yeah. We're not foraging for food. You know, like, <laughs> like stuff I'm like not foraging. That. Like there's no, no, there, there's saber tooth tiger, tiger isn't at my cave door. You <laughs> yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah. But you're acting with the anxiety, like uh, the people are going to be it's just like, uh, you know, and it's so instead of saying, well, how do we, how, well, how do we calm this down? Be like, why the fuck are you getting anxiety? Yeah. Like let's, so, we have, it's causation. And then also that to me has to be a comprehensive approach, like a complete human approach that could be replicable. And so that's what I set out to do with the six keys. And, you know, I started with like the 30 best ideas about human development I could. Right. And I layered it. And then I said, like, well, these can go together. That's not really important. How, and, and that's what I think you need to do. I, I like, I think you should treat your life like a hyperactive, overly curious three-year-old, mm. right? What is every three-year-old like? They, why? Dad, <laughs> yeah. why? Mom, why? Why? You, everything. Question everything. Question authority. Question your bosses. Question your own motives. Question your own mindset. You should be questioning constantly. Why? Why? Ask why? Ask why? And don't take because I said so, or because all us made it be without a fucking explanation. Like, yeah. no, dude. If you, I, you know, like, I'm not gonna make this mental jump. Like this conference, this dude wanted to make this mental leap that because we this was a little fuzzy area of evolution that we should throw out the door, and that an intelligent design came down and separated us from animals just because he said it. Like. No, like I'm going to question that, right? Yeah. Like you have to question everything and question your and, and question yourself. So we have to get to causation. So I kept doing that. I kept being like, well, you say you should do this for anxiety, depression, for motivation. How do you get people to uh, discover? Why? Why? Mm. Why? Boom. Like that, right? And I did that until I got to these six things. And then I tried to break it again. And believe me, I tried to get to the five <laughs> keys of greatness, the three keys. I tried, dude. I tried. Can I take this out? And I... And basically I, I found myself for my own, you know, capabilities, at least to hit the bedrock. I, I can't take away perspective and gratitude. I can't take away internal locus control. I can't take away purpose and direction. Or sorry, I can't take away self-discipline. I can't take away perseverance and I can't take away leadership. And so I, I got to this point where I'm like, okay, this is the bedrock and it's not whack-a-mole. It's not treating symptoms of all these problems people are having. I don't know how to have conversations with my spouse. I don't know how to do this. I'm like, it's not, if you whack one thing down, another one's going to pop up Mm -hmm. because you didn't start with perspective and gratitude because you didn't make sure you had internal looks control, right? If, and then you got those things done and you, you, you don't have a North star. The amount of times I do workshops and I come around and, you know, this is why our workshops in business, 
I like to consider ourselves a bit of a leading a bit of a revolutionary movement here when it comes to human leadership inside companies. But, you know, we'll sit down and be like, why are you here? And you're like, well, it's a good paying job. Your culture. No, no, no. Like what, what, what are you doing with your life, man? You got one life to live, right? Everyone just said that they, everyone just said that they're love. They're so appreciative of life and family and all stuff. Okay. So what are you doing with it? Mm. You know, and what actions are you taking toward that? And the amount of people that stare at you blankly. And then you can say, look, well, so you're just, you're just walking through life, just in the forest or trying not to die. (laughs) You're just, just a monkey driving a car, not trying not to (laughs) run into shit every day. Like that's what you're telling me, you know, waiting for the next hit of dopamine, you know, like waiting for the next hit of serotonin, waiting for the next thing, reward to make you feel good for a moment and then go out and try to do it again. Like that, I know that's maybe sort of harsh or, but I think we just need to like cut the BS, man. Like at some point you got to be real with people and be like, that's what it is. You know, like, don't tell me that you appreciate and respect life if you're not doing something with it. Yeah. I completely right? agree. And, and, and yeah, my, and, and my fundamental value, I guess, underneath all of that. And if you don't believe these two things, then that's fine. Right. I'm not saying I have to think what I do, but it, you're probably not going to resonate with my model of the world, which is I, and I, and I, and I also did this, purposely agnostic of in my mind cultural beliefs uh religious beliefs political beliefs right it doesn't matter what religion or beliefs you have system you have i think this is universal stuff and the underlying sort of mode that you should live your life that should guide how you function should be maximizing your own experience of life right making it as best and optimal of an experience and as it can be in in in, the, in a net in a total setting and maximizing your positive impact on others in the world. Mm. Like those are your guiding principles. And if you believe that, now you've got a foundation to to build on. And then the six keys will make sense for you. And I think you'll experience fulfillment. Now, if you, there are people who don't believe in that and that's fine. In which case, what I'm saying won't make sense to them. Yeah. Um, or it's not, gonna, it's not gonna resonate with them. But if people are struggling with where do I even start from like a, a fundamental belief structure, if you start with maximizing my experience in life and maximizing my impact on others, I think, I think you'll be, you'll start heading in the right direction. If you kind of put everything through that filter. That's some good information there, Sean. I saw somebody once said, uh, the heart doesn't hurt enough for you to want to change. And I think that's true for a lot of people. They haven't got to that point where they're just like, like even when you were talking at the very beginning about like these people, like, $600,000 a year, you know, successful companies, but then you ask them about their family and their, their fitness and all this other stuff. And they don't have an answer for that. And it's like, why do you not at some level care enough about those things, but you care about these material things that you can't take with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I literally think it's, <laughs> I mean, you're going to give me some controversial stuff now. Um, <laughs> I think that, you know, piss off people. That's fine. That's fine. Um, I think, and this is going to sound rude. I think it comes down to cowardice. Mm. Um, I think that people are scared of the unknown. And so they look for certainty and they ignore those big questions. And because it's too scary. Mm. Um, I think that's the same reason people buy into strict ideologies, right? Like 
whether that's a religious ideology, political ideology, right? As soon as I hear someone be like, use the term, I don't know, like snowflake liberal. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. all right. Yeah. I mean, that's like you, you've you chosen a paradigm that is safe for you mm-hmm. because you don't want to actually recognize that there's a diversity of thought and ideas or the other way, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. more the you know, the, the deplorables of whatever, like yeah. Trumpian deplorables or something like that from a political sense. But people pick teams. I think it's the same reason most people pick these strict ideologies when it comes to religion, right? And again, to piss people off, like that's what I'm saying. Like you can say, I believe these things. That's one thing, but you don't hear, you hear some, you hear some people say, no, this is the truth. Mm. I know it. And like, you don't, you fucking don't dude. Like, <laughs> stop. You're lying to yourself. Well, you're lying to me. Like one of those two, either it's, it's, it's it, it, with these strict ideology. And this comes, this is the same thing with nationalism, right? Yeah. You don't love it, leave it. That's not the way America works. Like you, I love the principles. So I'm committed to a constant improvement and achieving the perfect union that we have envisioned. Like what's our potential? Not, you know, uh, if you love it, leave it, bro. Like that stops all growth, right? Yeah. Like, and so that's sort of like limited, strict mindset whether it's religion or political belief or whether it's sort of an underlying belief in capitalism, you know, as a, as un is infallible or something like that, right? Like whatever belief you hold and believe me, I'm a capitalist, right? But I'm saying like you have, if you put yourself in those boxes, people do that. And when I, when I see people say that, when I see people do that without justification, it tells me they're scared. Yeah. Like they're, you know, and that's why people strict to things like strict beliefs on religion, because they don't want to admit that we we have beliefs and ideas, but we don't know what the fuck's going to happen when we die. And that is terrifying. And so they need to latch themselves onto a strict ideology that they they and they have to repeat. This is the truth. This is the only God is the only Allah is the only God above Allah or Muhammad's name or they have to say, no, Jesus Christ is Allah. They have to say the Buddha. They have to say these. They They have to. Because they can't just be like, I don't know. It's my best guess and that's okay. Yeah. But what am I going to do? What about I'm going to make decisions based on maximizing my experience of life and impacting other people. Um, and so to your point, I think that people don't think about those things. And it's easy in this world of quick distractions because the that quick hit of self-gratification, of dopamine, of reward is stronger in the moment than the long-term fulfillment that comes from working and striving hard on problems of thinking through things of changing your mind when you hear new information like that's hard there's resistance in the brain to make new thoughts to make new opinions right like that that takes work it takes more energy to do that than just go along and so people are choosing the easier road and i think that's why you know one of if not the critical factor for people who ultimately are successful versus people who are not, who ultimately have contentment, who ultimately have fulfillment, who ultimately have great relationships, financial success versus aren't, is the ability to delay gratification. Mm. I think that is the, maybe the key, the key between those two. If you can't do that, right? If you can't look at it and be like, I know I'm not supposed to eat this ho-ho, but like, I want it, you know, and you can't, if you don't have a bigger purpose or, and that's it, that's thing. without a bigger purpose, without a drive and a bigger goal, it's really easy. Like, well, why wouldn't I have the ho-ho, mm-hmm. right? But if you're like, no, I'm pre-diabetic, both my grandparents died of diabetes. And like, I'm not going to do that. 
and that's your drive. I'm going to set an example for my kids. Like you set your paradigm like that. It becomes very easy to say no to the ho-ho. Yeah. So, so it's like, there's things around it to, to reinforce your ability to do that, to, to delay short-term gratification for long-term fulfillment for a larger goal. There's ways to set up your mind and your environment and systems to make that easier to do more often, but it ultimately comes down to self-discipline. It ultimately comes down to, yes, this would feel good in the moment. Like, yes, I do want to get on Tinder, even though I'm in a relationship, right? Cause it feels good to have girls talk to me or whatever that might be. Right. Yeah. Like, but, and the people who can't do that, Ultimately, I don't believe will be be successful. They definitely won't be fulfilled. And the funny thing about it is that's if you think about it, is the actual definition of maturity is that is the ability to that. So, you know, children haven't developed that part of their brain yet. So, like, you can't logic your child out of way. Like, don't eat that cookie because like it's going to set a bad example. It's going to spike your blood sugar, and like when you spike your blood sugar, it's going to be lower, and you're not going to have much energy for school later. Like, mm. they're like, dude, just give me the fucking cookie, right? Like, they're <laughs> yeah. not. That's not even. That's like that's not, you're talking to a wall at that point. Yeah. They haven't developed that part of their brain to be able to like think through that and understand it. And so when I see people that can't do that, I'm just like, Oh, you're, you're a mental child. Like you're immature. <laughs> right? yeah. Like a teenager. Like that's, that's what it is, you know? And, and I've, I've had this conversation with 45 year old professionals that tell me that they want to get to sleep earlier saying so work out in the morning. And they're like, Oh, I didn't do it this week. I couldn't, it's hard to go. I'm like, you're just telling me it's hard to go to bed out on time. Like Man. that's what you're telling me. Like, uh, what, what do you do with a child, right? A child, you're like, go to bed. You're like, no, I don't want to. I'm like, you're 45 <laughs> and you decide I'm going to go to bed at 10. And you're telling me you can't put yourself in bed on time. Like, I don't know what I, you want me to do right now. If you are like, I could do that as a teenager because I was like, man, I have wrestling practice tomorrow. I want to get like, as a 15 year old, I was like, I need to go to bed tonight. Cause like I have shit to do tomorrow. Right. And I want to perform well. You're 45 and you're telling me you want to be a senior manager in a fortune 500 company and you can't put yourself to fucking bed on time. You know, so I might be a little harsh with that person, but like that's immaturity, but that's not being able he, but he wants to look at his phone and he wants to do whatever. And, and he can't delay that for a higher purpose when he knows that's what he should do. So maybe a little harsh with some people, it may piss them off, but it comes from being, not being able to delay gratification is, a, is just immaturity. Yeah. And we have a lot of emotionally and mentally immature chronological adults out there, unfortunately. Um, I know one very well, man. This guy is oh, yeah. <laughs> 43, but he acts like he's 13. And mm-hmm. it's just like, I don't understand the mindset. Like, just as I can tell difference between myself when I was 23, 33, and now I'm 43. And I know there's a big mm-hmm. shift. And But this person that I'm thinking of in particular, there's no difference from like when I first met them. When I think I met them when we were like 26, 25, 26, but there's, wow. no, there's no like real growth. And I just don't understand, like, at what point do you not want more for yourself? You know, I, I don't I don't get it. Because, like, yeah. like, we've been saying this whole time. It's like, we're not here very long. So why are we taking it for granted? I mean, there's going to come yeah. a day where we're all going to have something bad happens to us, either family or friend or ourselves. And then you're going to be like, man, I regret not doing this with my time. Because, like you said, the time is commodity we cannot get back. 
I don't know. It's sad. Yeah, it's it, it really is sad. And you can think of why. And I think at the end of the day is, you know, we have to recognize one, we can provide information. And the biggest thing we can do is set examples, but if they don't want to change, we're not willing to do it. We can't or we'll create codependency and actually hinder their development. Yeah. Um, but again, this is my opinion. And um, it would be much better to have some sort of like psychologist with a bunch of experience to probably developmental psychologist who could probably tell me I'm completely wrong and mm-hmm. what it actually is going on there. Um, but some of those people will also say, well, because they were stunted here, but I'm like, that is all fucking X. That's so one thing about internal loads control is this difference between fault and responsibility. So maybe they weren't shown how to be an adult. Maybe they weren't shown those things. Maybe they weren't demonstrated that maybe they weren't exposed to those things when they were younger or they were abused or there was all these things going on. Right. Mm-hmm. That could be reasons where some professionals might say that's the cause. That's why. And that's fault. And I'm not saying who's someone who grew up that way or didn't have those examples that it's their fault that that happened to them when they were in that environment. But responsibility is about the present. Mm-hmm. So responsibility is about right now. So all those things are in the past, but they don't exist. Yeah. Like if they exist, show them to me, you know? So, but what does exist is like, so what are you doing right now? I get it. You had a hard life, but you're the one picking up the tequila bottle at noon and put like, don't pound, don't pound that pawn that off on, on a neuro, on a, a memory of neural impulse in your brain, because you are, you have free will and you did it, accept responsibility for it. And then you can start changing it. Right. So, but I think most people don't because they don't want to think about it because then they are going to have to take responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. And if they have to take responsibility for their actions, then they have to actually look themselves in the mirror and that's going to be hard. Yeah. And then they have to decide what they're going to do with their, like, this is all work. Mm-hmm. It's hard, yeah. you know, and it's scary because it's unknown. And that's why I come back to, again, if we're being as sort of as blunt or, or maybe as direct, however you want to look at it or mean is, it come to me. I'm just like, you're being a coward. Like you're mm-hmm. not willing to stare, stare life in the face and you're avoiding it. Um, which is sad because you said, you know, it's like, you only get one. Um, but you know, hopefully those people will come around and be exposed to ideas like this and make the decision to take that first step and go through that. You know, like I have, and I'll pull this over and I got to wrap up here, but I've got this thing. It's a company called 4K Weeks. I don't have, I don't make money. I don't have like an affiliate or anything. So I'm not trying to like pawn off something. (laughs) But I just have this. It's called My Life in Weeks, right? Yeah. And uh, you send it in with your birth date and then you can set it. I think this one's set for 80 years, 80, 88 years. And each box is a week Uh. of your life. And so every Monday I come, it comes filled out to wherever you're at. And every Monday I come in and I cross out a box. So every Monday I'm like, that week of life is gone, one less. And it's a constant reminder to stare at my own mortality. So I ponder and think about, it forces me to ponder and recognize my own mortality at the beginning of every Monday morning. Mm. And what a pow- like, what a powerful tool. And, you know, a lot of my workshops, sometimes I'll end again, my work, my leadership workshops are a little different than some change management shift from like Harvard Business School. Um, we do cover a lot, you know, the fundamentals of management communication, but 
you know, I'll end with the concept of memento mori, remember death. Like I'll end a leadership conference with death and and they'll be like, why? (laughs) All the things you can talk like, why are we doing this? And what I'll tell them is because it's the only universality for everyone in this room. Like some people in this room are motivated by money and some aren't. Some people are motivated by time. Some people are motivated by freedom. Some people want more purpose. Some people, there's all these things and it's not going to hit with everyone. Mm -hmm. But I only know of one thing that everyone in this room is going to common experience death. And it's, you know, and so like, let's, let's bring it to that. And remember that's going to happen. And that's going to hit everyone in the room and what their current opinion is about it. And, and I will tell you that people that avoid that, there's a reason you're avoiding thinking about your own mortality. There's a reason you're avoiding it. And it's because you're probably not living every life the way you know you should. Mm -hmm. Because if you're living every life, every day maximized, mortality is not that hard to look at. All it does is give you more energy. It's not scary. It's motivating. But if you're not, if you know that you're not living your life that way, if you know you're not maximizing that, if you know you're not doing those things, then it becomes terrifying to stare death in the face. I saw this guy. He said one day, he said, how many summers do you think you have left? The person's like, what are you talking about, Summers? And he's like, how many Summers do you think you have left? And the person was like, oh, shit, maybe 20, 30? And on, that's nothing. I mean, mm-hmm. I've already gone. I could have gone through high school twice by now, you know, since I've been out. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, yeah. it's like, fuck, man. Like, when you start thinking about it like that, like, you have to think about it. Because I think a lot of us sometimes just think we're going to live forever. And there's a lot of people who are like, mm-hmm. when you hear about somebody that died at a certain age, you're like, oh, they were so young. But then when you think about like 70, 80 on average, you're like, that's old. But if somebody died at like 40, 50, 60, they're like, oh, they were young. Well, why is it young? Or sometimes people like fear turning 30 or 40 or 50, whatever it is. But mm-hmm. if you hear about somebody that died at that age, they're young. So it's like, you know, you just have to put it in perspective, man. Like anytime you're given is, is a blessing. And like this one guy said, like, mm-hmm. Every morning you wake up is a chance to do something again, like a, a reset. Mm-hmm. And most people wake up. Oh, I don't want to go to work. Well, change your reality. Then I hate Mondays. Mm-hmm. Well, find out why you hate Mondays. Cause it's just another day that you, you get a chance to do something or you can just complain and complaining gets you nowhere mm-hmm. except around losers who want to hear it too, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Commiserate. Yeah. Well, I think it comes back to, um, and unfortunately, I gotta I gotta end here in a second. But the um, to bring it full circle, which is kind of crazy that we did this again. But like to bring it back to the Indian lady at the very beginning <laughs> about that uh, that purpose, right? And and what I, and and that's what I found with you know whether you want to call it genetic purpose, like I call it in my book, or a spiritual purpose, like she calls it. I find this with my clients, right? That when they do get those things aligned, right? When they do leave the shitty job and start their own company or just change to a different company or different role, or they start working out. So whatever that is, right. They get that purpose. They get those activities aligned. They get, they get energy from the work. Mm. They get energy from what they're doing. Like, you know, like I'm going to leave this conversation with more energy than I came into it with, because it was intriguing conversation. When I do work, I look forward to work. Because I love what I do and I get energy by doing it. Does that mean it's, it doesn't mean that it's like always fun that sometimes I'm like, Shit, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do my finances. I don't want to do repay. Like, yeah, but like overall, I'm excited about 
next week. And if anything, I need to teach myself patience because I just want things to happen faster. It's like I'm working on patience, but the, but if you go and you dread what you're going to do during that day, like you said, that's a sign. Like if, if it's draining for you, that's a sign that what you're doing is not fully aligned with what you're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Right. And when you, people that have those aligned are the people who are passionate about their work. And it does not just entrepreneurs. It's people who are passionate about the roles they're in. They're passionate about being a mother, a father. They're passionate about being a carer. Like they're passionate and they love it. And it gives them energy. And if you're, what you're doing with your life doesn't in the net and the overall give you that you, you need to change something now because you, you know, you're, you're, if you said you're wasting the most precious of resources because yeah. you can't get that back, you know, and another powerful way, like the, so says said summers, you know, I know people our age, you know, me in particular, right? Like I'm, I'll be 40 in three weeks, middle-aged, I guess, which sounds weird to even say. <laughs> um, yeah. In my mind, I, I've, I've, for the most part, unless I'm sore in recovery, I feel like I'm like 25 a lot of times, but, um, the, it's like our time with our parents, you know, cause like my parents, you know, live in Kansas, you know, and I see them. I'm lucky three times a year, right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes once or twice a year. Right. And I'm close with them too. So then you start thinking about that. Right. So then it's like, well, how many more times are you going to be able to hug your mom? Yeah. If you see them twice a year, right. Or how many visits are you going to have? Well, if you spend a total of maybe eight days with them a year between trips and they're going to be around for their, 20 years, you know, that's like not that many times, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, how many, how many more times are you going to be able to do to spend time with those, those people that you care about? And so it starts, you start putting those sets instead of just living for the moment, but look at life as a big picture, it places more value on it. Right. Like mm-hmm. that. And that's why I think it's so important to stare. Ultimately, that's what, you know, Stoics and other people talk about, like staring mortality in the face and, um, living every moment is because it comes down to supply and demand, right? Like if we live forever, then our days wouldn't mean that much, Yeah. but the fact that they're limited gives it value. And, um, and I think that the, the fault we've maybe placed on that is because we're assuming, like you said, we're going to live forever. If you assume, if you, even if you don't, you intellectually know that don't Mm -hmm. know that, but that's sort of how you, you don't, contemplate it regularly you don't think about it and your mind goes about this sort of groundhog day of every day is just another day yeah and so you don't place the value on it in your actions but if you force yourself to do it and you realize this time is actually very limited and not only that but i know my energy is you know already i mean i said i feel like 25 but my energy is lower than it was at 25 you know? mm-hmm. i think about some of the shit i did in special forces or ranger school at 23 staying up or <laughs> you know getting like 10 hours of sleep in a week and marching every day and i mean just crazy stuff i used to do and i'm like there is no way <laughs> two days you know like yeah no way i could do that right now as yeah. i was almost 40 year old so i know physiologically that I don't have energy. And that was one reason I didn't stay in. I could have another 10 years in the army and I'd be retiring in two years. Oh, wow. You know, and have pension, benefits, pay, all that stuff, rest of my life. And only and you'd be like, you're only 42. But I just knew that what I needed to do, like the work I needed to do to be, to build the business I wanted to build, to have the lifestyle, to learn the lessons, to just, I knew it was going to be hard and it was harder, way harder than I even thought it was going to be. And I was worried, especially in the, that type of, op, like, it does burn you out. Like that type of operation stuff I was talking about. Like it's a, it's a very intense work. I was like, I'm going to come out 42. I don't know if I'm going to have the energy mm. to do what I want to be able to do. So that was one reason I did get out 
at, you know, 32 and I could have retired at 42 because I'm like, I know I'm already worn out from doing this, you know, through my whole twenties. Like if I do this for another 20, another 10 years and I'm 42, I'm like, I'm going to come out of this. And there's a reason a lot of those, you know, guys do retire and they just like, go get a cabin in the wood. And they're like, screw this dude. Like <laughs> I need to be away yeah. because they've been just ramping at a pace. that's crazy for 20 years and deployments and combat and PTSD and just like losing. It's like all the things you go through. They're so stressful in your life. And then you get done in your forties and you're like, okay, wait a minute. I can, I'm going to get paid five, six grand for the rest of my life. And I got full health benefits. I don't have to do anything. You're like, I need a break, bro. And then you go away. Now what you recharge, you come back after three years. Now you're 46 and you're like, now nah, I'm going to start my first business. We're like, Ooh, hmm. dude, I, I just looked at that. And I was like, I don't know. I think my chance of success is pretty low at that point. So <laughs> that's the reason I got out because I realized like I need this energy to put toward me now. And yeah. And so I think respecting but it all comes back to realizing that there's these, the time is going to go. And so like, what is the most important, most powerful thing I can do right now? Man, I, I truly appreciate all the time you've given us today. Uh, I like to ask four questions though, before we, we wrap it up. My first two sure. questions are, what's your advice for people and what mark do you see yourself leaving on the world? I think that my advice for people is to basically do what we just talked about is like slow down and really contemplate those two things. How are you going to maximize your experience, your life, and how are you going to maximize the impact of other people? And then start making a plan to do those two things. Like that's my advice, my impact on the world. So my North star, it's like how deep we want to go in this. Cause I feel like sometimes I don't tell people my full North star because it kind of like, they're like, Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like too much. And I, and I feel like it almost like stemmies them from like wanting to do it. Cause they're like, well, I'm not going to say crazy stuff like that. But basically um, my first one is with this leadership company is I want to revolutionize and change the way that people understand and think about leadership and business and types of organizations. Mm-hmm. And I want I want to change the whole cultural norm and standard to where the new standard is if you don't take care of people and create fulfilling, purposeful living and work environments, and you don't create businesses and organizations that have higher purposes and place that up, place that above the short-term profits and the quarterly statements. And it's just about that, but it's about impact that, that fulfillment that comes from leadership actually improves your profit and outcome. So profitability and fulfillment are a a positive feedback loop that reinforce each other, not two separate things that you tolerate taking care of your people and developing them, but just enough to get the profit that you, you think you want, but that those two things, when they're put together, create truly great, impactful organizations and we can change the world if we can improve that mindset around leadership. So I'm trying to do that with stronger leaders, stronger profits. And then my sort of life impact above that is I am a patriot. And I believe that I believe that in the future, there's going to be technological leaps that happen and whatever the dominant culture is on this earth when those technological leaps happen and who take those is going to be the dominant sort of force, sort of the, 
what pushes humanity is that like humanity is going to come together into sort of one culture mindset, um, society type values. And I believe that that needs to be what we may consider like liberal Western values. Like I believe it needs to be respecting basic that people have basic human rights, mm-hmm. right? Like not like a China, Russia, that, that freedom and, and, and needs to be balanced with community, but like freedom and individual freedom is, is a valuable thing and experience of life and all those values, people should have the right to, you know, if you work harder, you should have you and you do more for society that you should get rewarded and get more things yeah. and more resources. And if you don't, you should get like, like those values versus some of the values of maybe like a China or a, a Russia or something or a totalitarian regime. And, uh, and people don't want to believe that we're constantly at a geopolitical war of cultures, but we are, um, that's undeniable. Um, and so we have to win that. And I, think that we i think that our two-party system is a fundamental flaw to modern democracy and i feel like it's going to it's definitely hindering we're eating our own capacity to mm-hmm. impact the world and impact others by fighting with ourselves and i think that some of those other organ i mean that we know that those other regimes are actively sowing that discontent and we're buying into it mm. Like we're buying into Russian misinformation. We're buying into China's information to eat at each other. They're creating this. And I think that as I thought through that problem, I think that the solution has to be a multi-party system mm-hmm. um, that doesn't pit. We don't have a primary system that makes the farthest crazy right and the farthest crazy left come together. And then we're in the middle, like, well, who the hell are these people? Yeah. And then we got to pick one. And then we, and then people would just get disengaged in the political system because they're like, I don't identify with either one of these. And so we need something in the middle, maybe multiple parties. And so financially, my goal is to have enough means and resources, which means like, uh, high eight figures, let's say net worth, um, maybe nine figures net worth, because if I can do that, with enough time where I still have my mental capacities and facilities and energy that's like change the country money. Mm. And so I want to, I want to use this change for, to build leaders and change that conversation, but because it's something I believe in, but then I'm want to create a giant, you know, world-class organization and the financial resources and have influence to be able to fundamentally change our two-party system and maybe fund like a centrist third party or something like that. And I feel like if we do on that, we can unlock the true potential of our country and our society and create a new American renaissance that can shift the ba- permanently shift the balance of power in the whole world for the future of mankind. I like that answer, man. I think more people need to think outside the box like that, though. Because, I mean, it's all, all the shit that people are fighting for is man-made bullshit. And it's like, why are you so upset that somebody believes this or you believe that? And then I think most, like you said, most of us are in the middle. We're not, you know, left or right. Um, but yeah, that's, that's awesome right there. I look forward to your journey. And my last yeah, few questions. Thanks, yeah, it's, my last yeah. few questions. Well, let me ask a quick question. Uh, do you think that we here in America need like some type of like two year service, like mandatory thing for people? Mm-hmm. And what do you think about influencers yeah. that have like their boot camps? Mm. 
Um, okay, let me answer the second one first. So, <laughs> okay. uh, influencers that have boot camps or whatever, I think it's, I don't think it's fundamentally wrong or right. I think it depends on who the influencer is, what the message and what they're doing. I think there's a lot of scammy, crazy shit out there and people are just, how can I make money? But I also think there are some good people to me doing great things, you know? So I think there are good people that are doing whatever, if you're talking about a mental boot camp or a physical one, I think I mean more like the They're trying to simulate the military boot camps. Oh, oh, okay. You get you doing. Yeah. 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 Um, I think it, I think it is building a fundamental need and it kind of goes back to jujitsu, like where I, uh, and I, and I talk with my book, like, I know I talked about this concept of a warrior and we didn't really get into that, but you know, maybe we'll do it again another time. Um, but I believe I call my book a warrior's mindset because I believe we are all fundamentally warriors. Mm -hmm. Like that's actually one of the seven fuels of gratitude for me is warriors descendants. Like our ancestors that were like too scared to go out and hunt and fish or didn't care or apathetic or weren't willing to fight for their position in society, like physically and mentally fight, like fight, fight. Um, They didn't procreate, bro. Yeah. Like we're not, we're not descendants of the ones who hid in the cave and did nothing. (laughs) Like where are the descendants of warriors and conquerors? Like it's something crazy. Like um, there's like 20 or 30% of all the people in Asia have like um, genetics from like the Mongols that like, like Genghis Khan, like that ran and yeah, Genghis Khan. Yeah. Is, yeah. That went through the Asia. Right. Cause they just like raped and pillaged. I mean, now I'm not, please, I'm not saying that, but I, what I'm saying <laughs> is that like, it's our genetic code, right? Like, those conquerors, those survivors, it was hard to survive for a long time as a human being mm-hmm. and to pro and to have enough resources to not just survive, but thrive enough to procreate and take care of those kids so they could have their own kids. Those are some bad motherfuckers. Like yeah. we, came, we all came from bad motherfuckers. And so we've lost sight of that in this as we get too soft. And that's when we run into this. Well, I don't know if I can. I just told you, like, I've seen 26-year-olds do the craziest thing ever. Mm-hmm. And they're I love them, but they're not special. There's no special <laughs> gift, right? Yeah. They're not six foot eleven, and that's why they can dunk. Like they're five foot nine, 110 IQ kids from the Midwest who decided to do some shit. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, so what I'm telling you is like that, that uh, and 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 also when I think that people need adversity in their lives, like it's so easy to live comfortably and and now and we're starting to see where that's not making us happy yeah comfort is not making us happy right in the short term yes and god forbid i don't want to live you know in a in a mud hut and fight animals with pointing sticks i don't want to do it like yeah. i like my iphone you know but <laughs> um but we have to actively seek out adversity now mm. i think as a natural part of being a human being and i think that's another reason like something like a jujitsu is so addictive because we're fighting and it's physical and it's tough and we suck. And when we get smashed one day and then we're the hero the next day and we need adversity in our lives to feel fulfillment. So I think as they're providing a need for that. And as long as it's done in a positive, constructive, not psychologically or physically damaging way, and people Mm -hmm. get a sense of purpose from it or they overcome adversity, I I'm not necessarily against that. Okay. Um, And then we'll, and then, of course, I blinked. What was the first oh, the, do you think they should have two-year, like, minimum oh. for, like, 18-year-olds and above? So, I I thought about this. I I think – I don't think it should be mandatory. Okay. Just because I am 
what I, I am a social libertarian in this, for the most part, in the sense that not in like a, and what a hardcore libertarian would be in sort of government policy, but like, I think when push comes to shove or we have an unknown about how to make a hard decision about our society or policy, and it's kind of a 50, 50, like, Ooh, it's a gray area, kind of good, kind of bad. We're not sure. Mm-hmm. Freedom wins. Mm. Like personal freedom should be the tiebreaker. Yeah. So mandated mandating that someone has to do that or saying, well, if you don't do that, then we're not going to count your vote or something. I don't, I think that's a, could be a slippery slope to the guts, a little too much control to give to the government. Kind of like what we what, saw last we year, time and resources. Kind of like yes, what we saw during right? the pandemic. Like yeah. Everything. yeah. But the pandemic, like there's a line between, yes, we need to be safe, but like, then, you know, it's like, yeah, we need to take care of each other. We need to put these regulations in place a little bit. But on the other hand, you know, if you tell people they like can't work or they mm. can't do whatever, yeah. even that, like it's, it's the government's job to inform them and then in a, a real emergency. But anyway, that's COVID can be a whole thing. It's a complex issue. Um, that being said, the shorter answer is I think what they should do is do a two a minimum two year service that could be, let's say, military. It could be like a Peace Corps, some sort of community service, right? Okay. Some sort of set that that is open and sponsored by these different organizations. And then if a, if uh, someone does that, I think we should give them free education. Well, I like, like that. Create a financial incentive. Yeah. Create a financial incentive and an option for people to do that service and then reward them in a way that builds capacity. So now we're the people who are willing to do that and then have transformed themselves to that experience. Now we're giving them a a economic advantage for them to actually uh, move up in the ranks of our society and be influential people. So I just believe that that's something that government and, you know, I don't know if we've, I don't know if we've bashed right or left more, hopefully somewhere between Uh, um, today, but (laughs) in the middle, hopefully, but you see this with both sides in terms of mandates, but I see it on people who want maybe to go too far, in my opinion, to governmental control, the governmental sort of welfare system um, is that I've seen it in other places in other countries. There's plenty of case studies that like it creates codependency, mm. right? Like if um, that and, and that financial incentives work. So the government, like COVID was a great example of like, the worst marketing campaign ever, mm-hmm. right? Like what they should have done is said, Hey, here are the facts. People are going to die. Here's what's going on. Like, here's what we know. And, you know, we highly recommend that for your safety. And if you care about the health of the people around you, you should wear a mask right now and just left it. Yeah. And then I, I think you would have had more adherence if it would have been that than the way, and you wouldn't have the same blowback as when they say you have to do this or demonizing right? people or for gonna, not, or for not, or we're going to yeah. arrest you at your business. I mean, that like literally shut down jujitsu, underground jujitsu gyms in California, like with SWAT teams of these people. And then it comes out well, actually all those people had the lowest in- severity of COVID because we were still being exposed to other people and we're doing something healthy and and a community focus and our mental and physical health was great. And so, yes, we got COVID, but it wasn't that bad. You know, it was bad for the people who were hiding and then came out six months later. Right. And I'm not, and and I'm not saying that the government shouldn't have done some things because when COVID first started, we obviously thought we, it's a government's job to take care of public health, but that's just one example of like, you need to create financial incentives for people to change behavior and not infringe on their freedoms unless it's absolutely necessary. So I think 
creating a system like that for some sort of service that then grants a financial incentive for for young people and also sort of levels the playing field between uh, the the wealth gap in this country mm-hmm. and access to education. And I feel like that would be a good solution. All right. And my last two questions are, what do you think happens when we die? And who would you like to give flowers to? Um, give flowers to just like who I like to write, congratulate or yeah, like, like give appreciation to. Cause like, unfortunately we, we as gotcha. people generally don't hear good shit about us enough or until we're gone. And as far as I know, we can't hear that. So <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that kind of, we talked about the kind of the back to the Indian lady about the energy source and sort of a universal consciousness and energy. That's if I had to put my, I said it this way, it's funny because again, I don't like speaking absolutes. If I had to build a bucket where I was like, okay, I think it's probably one of these two things. <laughs> okay. I think one would be it's grander, more complex, probably some sort of source energy that we're a part of this bigger thing that we really can't comprehend as human beings because we can't really, at least intellectually, maybe we can feel, but we can't, it's impossible to fully intellectually understand something you haven't experienced, right? Mm. Like a blind, how do you explain red to a blind person, right? Or how do you, you know, explain whatever, right? Like to somebody who hasn't experienced that, that, that feeling, um, you know, that's why it's so so hard for us to even understand something like infinity, Mm -hmm. like, you know, like our minds, maybe mathematicians who work with it enough and really understand it can kind of grasp it. But like the average person, like I can, I know what it is, but do I really comprehend what the size of the universe is? Like, I think it's impossible. How would, how could we, I'm a little ant on this rock. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So my guess is that if that's the case with something as simple as a concept of infinity or the size of the universe, that the, the re what reality is and consciousness is, is so grand and big that it's probably beyond our human comprehension. And I, but I think it's probably something close to this undying energy and, and, and coming in and out um, that we're all part of this like larger source energy, whatever that is, or, and this is hard, but it's nothing. Yeah. Like it's just, like the other thing is as human beings, we d- we try to put purpose on things because mm-hmm. again, that's just how our minds work. So for us to think that something has no reason or purpose, like doesn't, like it does not can like does not compute. Like it doesn't make sense <laughs> to us. You know? yeah. And so that's why I love like Neil deGrasse Tyson, what he says about the universe. He's like, the universe is under no obligation to make sense to you. Mm. And I think that's an important concept to realize that like, or things just happen and there's and that's just the way it is. Yeah. And I think that's really hard for us to understand our grasp. Now, I think, I don't think that. Like, if I had to put my my bet in one of those two, mm-hmm. I'm going with the, we can't comprehend it, some sort of source energy consciousness. What a fun thing for us to continue to explore. Fundamentally, it doesn't change the way you should live your life. Maximize your life. Maximize the impact on others. Doesn't change the way you should live your life. But it's an interesting concept to explore. Um, that's where I would put my money. But I think if you put that together with, it just is. Uh, I think you're probably like a 90% probability that it's one of those two things. Yeah. The chance that it's one of the things that we've actually come up with is like, prob- I, I give it, I'm being generous with 10%. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's, it's probably way less. It's probably almost a 0% chance that like any human being has been like that, 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 that. 
that's correct. Yeah. Nope. Don't think so. Like that's the chance of that is like virtually zero to me. So I put my money in one of those two buckets um, in terms of that. And in terms of flowers, man, you know, it depends on the different season of your life. I mean, you know, my parents obviously like growing up and the opportunities they gave me and some people sacrifice, but you know, today we're not right now. Um, I'm going to give it to my wife. Um, been together three years. We've been married for three years. We've been together. Um, geez, I'll be eight this year, seven and a half years. Um, and you know, she was with me when I went through the bankruptcy, she, she struggled too. you know, we, we went through a time together where it was like, Hey, can you give me 20 bucks? I have to get groceries for tonight. <laughs> like we we were there. Yeah. Um, and not that we're wealthy or anything now, but we're comfortable and we're heading the right direction. And we've come through all of that. And she's also believed in me when I give these crazy ideas in my head, like, Hey, I'm going to build this company and do this thing. Um, and, but what that means right now is I have to go teach jujitsu at 5am every day, you know, yeah. like she stayed with through all that. And we've built this future together and we're, you know, planning and starting a family together. And, um, yeah, she's, you know, we, we continue to grow together. And, um, and so I'm really thankful for her and for, for us as sort of the foundation, you know, when, when we're not right, I suck at everything. Mm. You know, that's a, like, like I, I, I'm, I'm, pr- I can't even really be present if that's, if what we have isn't tight and it's really the foundation. And I'm really grateful for the ability to have that type of relationship and know that it's constantly improving. That's awesome. Where can everybody find you at? Sure, man. Um, so Sean Patton presents, that's my handle on like IG. Um, you can do, if you just search Sean Patton, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll find me. Um, my book is called a warrior's mindset, the six keys to greatness on Amazon. And I took me a year, but I finished my audio book, uh, right around Christmas. So the audio book version's out as well. And the cool thing about the audio book is I had my business coach and my my mentor, um, kind of like David Goggins in his book where we oh, did okay. like an interview over each key. And then, so we have some bonus content. So we'll cover like perspective and gratitude. I'll read it. And then you've got like a 15 minute conversation about like what that means and sort of an in-depth bonus content, which I think is kind of cool on the audio book. So that's on Amazon. And then my company is strongerleaderstrongerprofits.com. And um, we we, I mean, we do executive coaching um, for business owners and corporate leadership. We do workshops for organizations of all kinds. And then we have a lot of really cool stuff coming out this year, including the Stronger Leaders Academy, which is I'm really proud of, which is going to be a done-for-you leadership development program that'll plug into a company's learning management software. And then we'll actually coach your program manager, HR person about mm-hmm. uh, to actually implement the system. So it's that whole teach them to fish instead of give them the fish as a consultant. Yeah. And I think that that's also going to create a consistent, allow the company to create a long-standing, enduring leadership culture that's going to last. And I think that's, I think we're really on to something in terms of accomplishing you know, my North Star was strong, strong profits of changing how people think about leadership. So stronger, stronger profits. If you want it um, for any company like that, keynote speaking uh, on leadership and mindset. I, I love to connect with anyone who's thinking about these concepts and, and looking to improve themselves or the organization. That's awesome, man. And I appreciate your time today. And thank you to, was it Aaron for uh, reaching out and getting this set up? Yeah. 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 It's I been fun, it. man. Awesome. So it's been real fun. Let's That's do it great. again sometime, man. Absolutely. I'd love to do an update when all those things gets, gets launched, uh, you know, maybe toward the end of the year. And, um, I'll be, I might be reaching out too. We've got, 
where we, we haven't announced it yet, but we're going to do with my business mentor, a, our first leadership conference okay. uh, here in, in Nashville. And, um, but it's going to be different. We're combining because executive leadership conferences, man, I've even been to them, but they're boring as hell. They are so boring and stuffy and filled with jargon, not inspiring, not, yeah. uh, and, and, uh, so we're combining a leadership, uh, and mindset conference with a music festival. Oh, I think it's going to be a cool <laughs> concept. That's awesome. Yeah, so man. it's called leader, the lead, lead rev fest. Uh, you know, we should have the website up in, in the next month, but a lead rev fest.com. It's going to be, a, a called the leadership revolution festival. And, um, we're going to have it here in Nashville in September. So maybe I'll come back and we can chat about that when I get it all together, uh, to kind of promo it and tell people about it. Cause I'll, I think it's going to be a pretty cool experience. That sounds amazing, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks so much Enjoy for your, your time, Saturday. Man. Me on. Oh, no problem. Thanks. Me too. Bye.